Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hiya, this is WikiShuffle, and we are 100 episodes old. 100. Goodbye, leading zero. No more leading zeros on the titles of our episodes, because we've hit the ton. It's quite an achievement. Hundreds of a thing. I don't know, doing a hundred things of disputable quality doesn't mean it's an achievement. True. It is an achievement. We're not very celebratory. Yeah, be more celebratory. I think it was about an hour ago when I came in. But yeah, because you had double McDonald's. I didn't have double. Yeah, you did. You did. You had double McDonald's. You had double double. There was a, that was a double sausage. It got the word double in the name. <laughs> <laughs> I had some pancakes on the side. That's just a side order. No, but it wasn't just pancakes. It was more sausage. One sausage. And the hash browns. One hash brown. Two hash browns. I uh, no, I had one. You only get one. You only get one with a sausage and egg McMuffin meal, and then you get you don't get any with a pancakes and sausage meal. As I learned to my chagrin one day. <laughs> anyway, what is this? A cautionary tale about how to order at McDonald's. <laughs> I feel. Shut up and what is this? This is Wiki Shuffle. This is Wiki Shuffle one hundred. Wiki Shuffle. What's the Roman numeral for a hundred? X. You're looking at me. <laughs> yeah, good question. Wiki Shuffle C, X. C, Phil. Is Come it? On, man. What's, oh, yeah, X is 10, isn't it? Yeah. Wiki Shuffle C. <laughs> right, so we've got a oh, bumper episode for you today, oh, haven't we? We should have bought the party poppers. We should have bought the party poppers. Yeah, Chris, both Chris and Phil decided to buy party poppers and then forget them. I didn't even get so far as getting to the shops and buying no, them. I bought them and I've got nothing to pop. I'm just going to be at home popping. Oh, that's really sad. Mm. Oh, that made my heart just. What were we gonna little, do with them? It just lilted my heart a little Save bit. Save them for an occasion. You live alone. You can't use party poppers when you live alone. Can <laughs> on, can you? I'll oh. save them for New Year. Or you bring a girl back and there's just party popper fluff all over the floor. <laughs> just like, oh, it was a Tuesday. <laughs> or just as you climax, you pop one. <laughs> Right it face. would make more sense mm. that, uh, that it was a she climaxed. <laughs> <laughs> I think it says a lot about your level of selfishness. <laughs> Phil, the last few weeks we've been playing a game. Yeah, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have, thank God. God. Um, in order to decide who is choosing the articles for today, we've got six articles. Six. We're going to be... If we've learnt one thing from podcasting, and that's probably about as many as we've learnt in the hundred episodes we've recorded so far, if we've learnt one thing, it's that the quality of our work drops off a cliff around about the third hour of podcasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's at the same point where me and Jack start deciding how we're going to kill each other. That's exactly yeah, what's going to happen. That's when my, like... Annoying traits reach fever pitch. Uh, yeah. So My we... urge to kill horizons. <laughs> Do you think there's a correlation there? Maybe. So, in the early days, on a couple of times we attempted to record three episodes in one sitting. It never ended well. And so we disavowed from ever doing that again. And now, to celebrate our 100th episode, our most important episode, we're voluntarily doing this. So we're deliberately lowering the quality of our output to celebrate our 100th episode. Is that what's happening here? It feels fairly apt listeners feel free to enter a little competition and write down the episode numbers that you think were recorded after recording another episode yeah but we don't know which ones they were either you can tell you can, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah but that means you've got to go re-listen to 99 no, episodes yeah, I'm, not, not I'm not doing that 
How are we going to do this? We haven't even considered the logistics well, of this. I reckon we should just throw it to chance. Use a dice, even. No, no. I've got. Put I've your got, dices I've away. Got a twenty-sided dice in there. Of course, I got, you do. I got my first twenty-sided oh. dice. That for, I've gone thirty-seven years without ever owning a multi-faced dice. That, that more than six. Obviously, I've had six-sided dice. I'm not uh, shot in. Listen to him, Jack. Right. I'm really worried. <laughs> He's going to drag us down. Because you know how we're cool. <laughs> well, we're, we're discussing this in the car. You're very urban. Yeah, I'm urban. You're urban. Um, and so I'm I listen to Radio One. I was kind of low key cool. Yeah. And Phil. Phil isn't. Phil used to be able to get away with. Oh, he's, he's, he's his own cool. Now he's gone now. Fuck off. <laughs> <clears throat> right, we'll roll the dice. So you get he to get like, his dice. He was off his chair then, <laughs> trying to get his 20 just, sided just dice. Just let him get it. A 20 sided dice doesn't help. It doesn't, no, but I've, I've, got got six six I've got a six sided dice. It's fine, as we've well. got one on the. Okay. I've got one, okay. Right. So we're going to roll. One to three is one of my articles. Yep. Four to five is Chris. Six is Phil. And you've got two, right, Chris? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you'll be pleased to know that I haven't got any miserable articles. Ooh. I don't believe you. No, I haven't. Well, but you lie. I haven't. Mm, you do I lie. chose a wrestling one instead. Let's go. Oh, oh great. Roll the dice. Die. Dice. I'm rolling the dice. Die. Die? Die is plural. Dice is singular. Is it? Yes. I thought it was the other way around. Oh, maybe it is. Here's the other way around. Hey, who cares? <laughs> Excellent point. And oh, I've rolled the number one, which is one of mine. Robert Shields. Oh, I don't know who that is. The Reverend Robert Shields, born May 17th, 1918, died October 15th, 2007, was a former minister and high school English teacher who lived in Dayton, Washington, in the United States, and left behind a diary of 37.5 million words. Ow. What? That's a lot of words. Thank you. It's good that you're here to add that kind of texture hey. to the articles. I'll do my best. When you get big numbers, it becomes hard to contextualise what that number means. 37... I don't think it is, because I remember being told to write essays of 3,000 words and thinking, oh, for fuck's sake. It's a 37.5 million. Is it? Well, no, it's definitely a lot. I'm not arguing that it's not a lot but I'm trying to think we've been going for 100 episodes now if somebody was to do a transcript of everything we've said for those 100 episodes I mean don't I'm not asking anyone to do don't do that God don't do that but if they were to do that how many words would that be do you reckon see the question you're asking is something I can't I have no way of answering that no I can't as a talking point as as a day and in a day how many words do you say in a day like yesterday, I went to the cinema, and then I didn't. So there was no words there. <laughs> didn't do no wording. He just grunted at the people behind the counter. Yeah. Well, th- there was a couple. So it was like, like five, and then I got home, and there was no one there. So I think I said five. I think I said five words yesterday. Oh. <laughs> but no, it's fine. It's just that's just the way the day went. <laughs> do you not talk? It was a Saturday. <laughs> well, I went to the cinema. Do you not um, talk to yourself in the house? 
No, in my head. If I break it down, actually, because I was on my own all day yesterday, I think I probably said more words to the cat than anything else. Yeah, <laughs> I think I have a cat, but I can understand that. Yeah. How many words did you say? How many words did you say yesterday? Um, quite a lot. I went to London with my mother and we had a nice day out. And I went to a chippy, which was rated number one of 17,400 restaurants on TripAdvisor in London. 17,000 and a chippy was number one. And I thought, I need to go to this chippy. And? And it was amazing. What was so good about it? Just the service. Food was amazing. I think you need to be more specific. If you're saying I just is... say the word amazing over and over. Does that not get it? Mm. <laughs> to be honest, we're not really short of content for this episode, so maybe we'll save <laughs> it for another day. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's get on with this uh, diary guy. So, Reverend Robert Shield has written a, left behind a diary of 37.5 million words, and this diary fills 94 boxes, which, as a unit of measurement, is absolutely useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what, what does that mean? Just pick slightly smaller boxes and mm. get yourself up to 100. It's a uh, yeah. more impressive. Yeah, you, you've missed out, yeah. Um, the Diary chronic. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. The Diary Chronicles every five minutes of his life from 1972 until a stroke disabled him in 1997. Shields' diary was longer than those kept by the journalist Edward Robb Ellis, 21 million words, the poet Arthur Crewe Inman, 17 million words, and perhaps the most famous diarist of all, Samuel Pepys, 1.25 million words. I don't really and that is a long old diary, Samuel Pepys. I don't really know... I know what Samuel P. I know he's, he's a diary man, but I don't know why. I don't know why diary. Why? Why? Well, he's quite an intelligent fellow, and he lives through like the Great Fire of London and is that stuff what it like is? that. So okay. yeah, I think that's pretty much the gist of it. Uh, yeah, I've read bits, but it's just pretty long. In a time where things weren't being documented, <laughs> yeah. here's a man documenting okay. everything. So it's a historical document, and it was all written with insight and intelligence and he was sort of an insider as well he wasn't like some he wasn't just talking about what he wasn't just Mm. instagramming his dinner or anything um (laughs) believing that discontinuing his diary would be like turning off my life he spent four hours a day in the office on his back porch in his underwear recording his body temperature blood pressure medications describing his urination and bowel movements and slept for only two hours at a time so he could describe his dreams sounds like a riot (laughs) is that that he's broke oh yeah Uh, Uh, that's that's not clearly you see i thought you'd be on board at the fact he's doing all of this in his underwear I am. I, I do live like that, but <laughs> I don't record my body temperature. No stool um, measurement for you. No. Not even the, uh, what's the stool, the Bristol stool chart? You've got the seven different types of stool. You know, at least have a look at that nope. and compare. No? No, it just happens and I get on with my day. Still in my pants. So this all started in 1972. So at the time he'd have been fifty-four. So I mean, so much is... of his life had been gone. So yeah, it's, it's starting late, isn't it, to record everything? Mm. And isn't it going to get to the point where he's writing down that he's writing down, and if that's all he's doing, he's just writing down. I'm writing down. I'm writing down. I'm writing down. I'm writing. I'm writing stuff down, and then he explodes. Maybe. That's, that's the worry I'd have. Ten ten fifty-four a.m. I'm. I'm writing. I'm writing down that I was writing down when I was writing down. And I'm still writing down. Writing down. Writing down. Yeah. Oh, I don't like. I don't like those sort of time time holes. It's like if you worry bubbles. It's just giving worry bubbles about time holes. 
But in a way, isn't that kind of what we're doing? No. no. Podcasting about our podcasting. What? What? (laughs) Don't don't, don't do it. Don't Don't break him. I'm sorry. The New York Times summarised the journal as being about anything from changing light bulbs to pondering God to visiting the bathroom. It is believed that Shields suffered from hypergraphia, an overwhelming urge to write. That's why I picked this, because I thought it, it fits in well with our spreadsheet keeping. It's We're a same, little bit like this. It's the same brain compartment, isn't it? Mm. Definitely. Mm, I don't Just left hand. of the worry bubbles. Yeah, it's the one I don't have, though. I don't have this. I, no. If anything, I refuse to write stuff down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he once said, maybe by looking into someone's life at that depth, every minute of every day, they will find out something about all people. Nope. Probably not, no. He also left behind... Or some... maybe all people are normal, apart from this guy. Well, we know that's not true. He also left behind samples of his nose hair for future study. After his stroke in 1997, Shields tried to continue the diary by having his wife write what he told her to write. Poor woman. There's a recurring theme <laughs> in these stories about crazy men, isn't there? Yeah. And that is their long-suffering wives. Their poor, long-suffering wives. Yeah. How is Karen? <laughs> Long and suffering. <laughs> so, Richard, you want me to write down everything you say forever? Is that pretty much what's being proposed? Yeah, if you yeah. can help me out with this, please. I'd like to write down everything I do. And to be honest, I can't, I'm not as mobile as I used to be, so you're going to have to do some of my stall analysis for me. You're a different man than I married, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Till death do us part. <laughs> But she lacked the compulsion and energy to do so and stopped shortly afterwards. Mm. What a surprise. What a surprise. Shields' self-described uninhibited, spontaneous work was astonishing in its mundaneness and now fills 94 cartons in the collections of Washington State University to whom he donated the work in 1999. In a May 2000 interview, he said, I've written 1,200 poems and at least five of them are good. (laughs) He also claims to have written the story base for Elvis Presley's film Love Me Tender based on the Reno gang of Seymour, Indiana, where Robert William Shields was born. So is that just a delusion? Did he really do that? Uh, Can you buy his book? I don't know. Have a look on Amazon. Nah, I don't want them. The journal for which he became known was not the first he had tried to keep. He had tried to write one at age 17 to chronicle a romantic relationship, but abandoned it after losing interest in the project. Teenage Diaries, anybody? You, oh, you do. You do have something. No, but we've spoken, on... we've spoken about it on... We've spoken about your song lists. <clears throat> yeah, I, I never had a diary that I know of. My sister did. I can imagine you kept a diary, Phil. A journal. I had a couple of really half-assed goes when I was a teenager and they were as maudlin and depressing as you would imagine. Mm. And well, I looked longingly at Amy in the cafeteria today and she didn't pay me any attention because she thinks I'm a big fat troll man. That kind of thing. <laughs> I wasn't remotely fat. No, I was I'm tiny. I'm a big tiny troll man with hairy hands. Yeah, that part's true. Um... Yeah, why why doesn't anyone understand the lyrics of the Smashing Pumpkins in the same way I do? Yeah, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> oh god, human beings are inherently embarrassing. But yeah, it never came to anything. It certainly didn't. I mean, I got maybe half a million words. Maybe that many. <laughs> Nothing like. Let's read some excerpts from the diary. Under the terms of the donation of his diary to Washington State University, the diary may not be read or subjected to an exact word count for 50 years from his death. 
However, many excerpts have appeared, including the following. So why would you do that? You want this to be a document, and yet you're keeping it a secret. Like it's going to have some great world importance. This is more delusion stuff, isn't it? Yeah, potentially. Also, unless he's really he's like an evil man, and he's got some like dark secrets... I don't get the impression. Let's, let's listen to the excerpts that have made. If it I was a policeman, I think this guy suspicious, suspicious, like I do, like I do with Jack, suspicious. What? Why? I just think. <laughs> Good God! Put your phone. Good I will put you on silent. Spooky. Is that a thing people used to say at school to you? Is what? that something <laughs> teachers used to say at school? Mobile phones didn't exist when I was at school, you see, so it hadn't really occurred to me that now teachers need to have a way of dealing with that. I don't know how they deal with it now, because when we were kids, they didn't... It was just texting and stuff, and you'd only text your mates and they were in the same class as you anyway, so... Yeah, but But surely that would still not have been encouraged by the teacher. God, we haven't got time for this kind of transgression. (laughs) We really do not. It's a bumper episode. It's a bumper Uh, episode. We have to go down this road now. So you're going to try and edit this down to a cool 37 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry, Phil. It's going to be over an hour, and I want want a minute, an hour minimum today. Oh, it's It's going to be... It's a bumper episode. 90 minutes. We've recorded recorded like an hour already. (laughs) It's going to be nine hours long. You can't open the door to me and then slam it in my face. I'm sorry. ask... Okay, I'll tell you about... How did teachers at your school deal with mobile phones? I don't know. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. Let's listen to some excerpts from this diary, shall we? Okay. Twelve and a half million words worth of it. Chris, could you read these out, please, in a depressed, uh, mundane voice? Okay. July 25th, 1993. (laughs) God. I cleaned out the tub and scraped my feet with my fingernails. To remove layers of dead skin. What time was that? 7 a.m. 7.05. Past a large firm stool. And a pint of your pint of urine. <laughs> used five sheets of paper. That's disgusting. That's so unpleasant. That's This is what I mean though. This is this guy could be a serial killer. This is very. He seven. hasn't got time. It's very seven. Yeah, he'd have to document it, which would be a nightmare for avoiding the. Police. I had to pick up all the detritus. <laughs> um, <laughs> April eighteenth, nineteen ninety four. I put in the oven. In the what? <sighs> two stufas, macaroni and cheese at three hundred and fifty degrees. Wait, to me, stufa is Harry Hill's blue cat. Uh, what? What stufas? I mean, I guess it's a make of macaroni uh, cheese. A brand but... of macaroni cheese. So let's, let's, let's put a pin in that one, eh? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> let's have a. Let's just click through and have a little look. Six thirty-five to six fifty. I was at the the keyboard of the IBM Wheelwriter making entries for the diary. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So he has actually written that he was doing his diary. He's got himself stuck in a time hole. I ate the Stufa's macaroni and cheese, and Cornelia ate the other one. I'm guessing that's the wife. Mm. We changed the light over the back stoop since the bulb had burned out. I'm quite cheery now. He's got to keep himself lifted. Mm. And then last one here. August 13th, 1995. Quarter to nine in the morning. I shaved, I shaved twice with the Gillette sensor blade and shaved my neck behind both ears and crossways of my cheeks too. Well, I don't think it was a good book. I Chris, you now have to read this book. 
no, I'm not going to podcast. Yeah, that's what we do on here. No, it's not because yeah. I'll get that. I'll get myself stuck in a time hole. It'll be like you know getting trapped because I'll be reading his book. I won't be able to keep up with my own life. Chris, what's a time hole? <laughs> But don't just, worry about getting stuck well, in a time I hole. What is it? About you don't when know what get, it is. When you, well, because I haven't fell in one yet. If you fall in a time hole, then <laughs> things like this happen and you get stuck like repeating stuff and it's always something that scares me. Like that Black Mirror episode, the Christmas one, that's, uh, that's something that genuinely frightens me of getting stuck in a time loop forever. Just a bit like being in here. I'm very close to a time loop now. Just in a, a sinkhole of time. Yeah, does that not scare of you? repetition of... Yeah, that's that's an innate human fear, isn't it? Limbo. You're, yeah, you're limbo. Describe, you're describing limbo. You're you're defi- you're describing Sisyphus. You're describing these repetitive, unrewarding. <laughs> like yeah, him nodding like he knows who Sisyphus is. <laughs> All these things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you got it. That's what I've been thinking because you just said it better. I called them a time hole. <laughs> <laughs> Right, let's roll the dice. Roll again. It's number three. So it's one of mine. That's one of yours. Again. The Other World Kingdom. And before we begin this, I'd just like to say that this is going to relate to Chris Bill. Mm -hmm. Are there any races or hair colours or anything like that that are banned from your island? No. All inclusive. All inclusive. We've already explained this. All inclusive except you. All right. Except you. Because <laughs> that's it's not a good message to put out there. No, that wasn't the message I meant. Except you, right? As okay. in enunciate, man. Yeah, that's, that's how the Second World War started. <laughs> um. <laughs> right. So I've scouted out a new island that could right. become a potential ally or rival of Chrisville well, and Lolotopia. Let's see. Which is the Other World Kingdom. Frequently abbreviated to OWK. Oak. Oak. Do you like it so far? The Other World Kingdom. Um, so far, I'm thinking the Flat Earth people, and I'm thinking no. The Other World Kingdom was a large commercial BDSM and Femdom facility resort and micronation. Oh, like Disneyland. Mm. <laughs> uh, um, uh, sexy Disneyland? Sexy Disneyland, sure. Why if not? you like. <laughs> which opened in 1996 using the buildings and grounds of a 16th century chateau located in Serna, Zadarnad Zaval district in the Czech Republic. Although not recognised by any other country, it maintained its own currency, passports, police force, courts, state flag <laughs> and state hymn. So, sexy currency, sexy passports, sexy police, sexy courts, sexy state, sexy hymns. Sexy hymns? That's what it says. You've got a state hymn in a BDSM country. It's going to be a sexy hymn. You can't just have, like, a a boring hymn. It's got to be, like, Frankie Goes to Hollywood or something. It's got to be something. (laughs) It was officially founded on June 1st, 1996, and was open to visitors by the spring of 1997, after two years of construction, costing £2 million. So, already significantly more backing than Chrisville. Mm. The other world kingdom provided a DS environment of a size and consistency not available at any other facility in the world. What does that mean? Dominance and submission. Ah, uh, don't know if I like it. <laughs> don't know if I'm well, on board. You say that, but Chrisville was centred on you being the king. a dominant king. A nice dominant king. Uh, still I, a got, dominant I don't king. have a weapon, chaps. <laughs> One thing will lead to another. 
that's the problem there. The land and buildings were offered for sale in 2008 with an asking price of €8 million. Euros. The sale particulars suggested the property was suitable for use as a hotel, restaurant, residence or old people's home. Old people's home? Hey, ain't got much countdown with all that going on. <laughs> Hopefully they'll clean up first. Oh. The government. The OWK is a matriarchy where women rule. Okay. I'm I'm I like that. that, but you're a man and you rule your country, so hmm. how does that work? What do you mean? Well, what do you think they'll make of you in Chrisville? They love me, obviously. Be an ally. Yeah. But how would they view a male-dominated society like yours? Yeah, I'm not a dick. But I told you one of the rules in the in the 40-page document is don't be a dick, and I'm not a dick. So that's it. And they'll be like, oh, this guy's not a dick. We'll be friends with him. I get on fine with the gingers. <laughs> <laughs> The OWK is a matriarchy where women rule. The state also has strong BDSM and female dominant themes. The state's goal is to get as many male creatures under the unlimited rule of superior women on as much territory as possible. Okay, now Chris is pulling a face. He's not on board with that. I'm all for equality. You sounded like Farage when you said that. Oh, like, shit. I am aware that I am supposed to make this statement. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that's the point, isn't it? You suppose everything's supposed to be the same. Except me, King. <laughs> The OWK has always billed itself as a state. It is, however, a private for-profit enterprise with no connection to nor sanctioning by any recognised sovereign state. Okay, I think the sexy country is a bit... The OWK is ruled by Queen Patricia I, an absolute monarch whose coronation took place on May the 30th and 31st, 1997. She is able to amend laws and other legal issues. Her other roles include Sublime Supreme Administrator... That's a good title. Super... Good. Supervision over all activities within the area and the office of the Supreme Administrator. Sublime Administrator of the Treasury financial <laughs> for financial issues and the Queen's Court and Queen's Guard. Will you be a king or just president or prime minister or emperor? No, not emperor. I'll go king. King Chris. King Chris. Okay. We talked last week about how much you hate the monarchy. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah good when point. he's a monarchy. No, good point. Yeah, that no, you're right. So not king. No, not not king. Uh, just just Overlord. Chris. You're like a, yeah. You're like a teacher who sits down on a desk on the first day. Yeah. And says, hey, hey guys, just call me Chris. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to call me like Doctor Chris. You just call me Chris. <laughs> just Chris, your leader. But how does everyone know you're in charge? Because I've got a badge. Oh, you got a badge. What if someone took the badge? That was a mistake. <laughs> what, because then you would not be in charge and they would? Because they have the badge? No, they'd be punished. But they have the badge. You just said but, they, yeah, people know you're king. in charge because you have the I'm badge. I'm still but... the king, though. They're in charge. You're the king. Not the king. The... I'm just Chris. <laughs> exactly. You're just... You ain't got nothing, mate. <laughs> Gal, mate, this is why you're not welcome. Uh, it doesn't matter whether I'm welcome. I can still invade. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't invade. On your own. Who said I'm on my own? Of course you're on your own. No, I love my followers. You won't have your followers. Yes, I will. No, that's a lie. You know um, Varys in Game of Thrones mm -hmm. and his little birds? That's going to be me. They're going to stab you up. You have a child army. Yeah, that seems about right, <laughs> actually. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> 
Below the Queen is a series of different classes. The first is the Sublime Ladies, or Ladies Citizens, mm. who form the kingdom's nobility. To become a citizen, a woman must fulfil certain criteria. These are, the woman must have reached the age of consent. Good. Mm-hmm. The ownership of at least one male slave. Oh, come on. That's not necessary. <laughs> not so good. <laughs> Obeying the principles and laws of the OWK. Sending an application for citizenship. Spending at least five nights in the area of Queen's Palace. Okay. So you think that's all right then? Well, everything sounds good except the slavery bit. But that's what it is. That's what the island is about. But then again, well, thinking about it, they like it. They like being slaves, don't they? That's the whole point. So, well, is it? It's not. It's not clear yet, is it? Whether the men are. Into it's not this forced or not. slavery. If you're in, like, if you're into the old BDSM stuff, you sort of you want that. But it doesn't I, say whether these men are or not. They might, it, they might if, have if just if been If you captured. get dragged out of your house by the Queen of this country, <laughs> Queen Patricia the First, yeah. Queen Patricia the First, and you're like, I don't want this. I, I don't want this. And she's like, well, I need a slave. That's bad. But if you're like, bring it on, Queenie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. Is that, that might be fine then? Oh, yeah, I think that's fine. We, we just, uh, it just hasn't been specified. But I'm assuming it is men that uh, enjoy this aspect of BDSM. Yeah. It's got to be. <laughs> so, so, so on that basis, I'm still open for trade negotiations. And do you want to marry a sublime lady? I don't know. I haven't met one. That sounds horrible. <laughs> I just haven't met one of these ladies. You could, you could marry a sublime lady, so you've got that, that link between you and... Uh, no, I, I'm not into that. I don't want into that at all. No, because then you would be her slave. I'm conflicted, Phil. Carry on. Is it just me, or is Pat not a very regal name? <laughs> oh, is that? It's Patricia. Queen Pat. Patricia's okay. Queen Pat doesn't... No, that doesn't work. Queen P. The next class are the Queen's subjects. These are men who follow OWK law, obey the Queen and pay her taxes, but have some rights, such as freedom to travel, own property and deal with such property, have children, change employment, enterprise and state his opinion. The lowest class is the slave class. This is a male class who have forfeited all rights, a property of the queen or sublime ladies, and are considered to be on the level of a normal farm animal. Whoa. See, that sounds bad, but it, are these blokes up for it? Yeah, I think we should assume that they are, yeah. So uh, on that basis, I'm not against it, because if, they, if they're all up for it, everybody's happy. Yeah. So would you be adverse to having some female slaves on Chrisville that are on the level of a normal farm animal? No. Even if they were into it? No, I wouldn't. Why not? So why is it nice for them to do it in... Okay no, but that's... Cause okay. I, well, we, we're talking about two people agreeing to something. Both of the parties in this agree to it. I'm like, I don't want... It. I see what you're trying to do. I ain't falling into that hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there might be a, a relationship here for you and OWK. Plus, and potentially, if, we, if I go on a visit... And just have a look around, and everybody's like, "This is good." And I'm, I'll ask them, "You enjoying yourself?" And they're like, "Yeah, this is great." If they're like, "No, I hate this. This is horrible," <laughs> then I'll go right. Um, this is bad. The main building was the Queen's Palace, which was the residence of the monarch and contained a banqueting hall, library, throne room. All sounds good so far. Mm. 
Sounds nice. <laughs> Banqueting hall, lovely library, lovely throne room, lovely torture chamber, lovely... Oh, hang on. <laughs> torture chamber, schoolroom, gym, an extensive basement prison. I Ooh. wouldn't put the torture chamber next to the schoolroom. <laughs> I think that's their problem. It's bad planning, isn't it? Or the throne room. <laughs> don't think they're ideal. I like how it just slips it in. Banqueting hall, library, throne room, torture chamber, schoolroom, gym. Extensive basement prison, the cells of which could be hired. Well, you're taking away what prison is, isn't it? <laughs> if it's something you'd like to go to. <laughs> that, that's what I talked to the Queen about. It's like, well, your whole prison system here, a lot of your citizens like it. <laughs> we have, there's a problem there. But do they like it? I, I think. Well, they do like it. They say they like it. Yeah, but there's a psychological element of Prisons this. That they don't like it and they like the humiliation. I don't know. But as a leader of a nation, prison shouldn't be fun. <laughs> okay. What, what are Crisfield prisons like? They're horrible places. Just a barrel. Just <laughs> it is, <laughs> yeah. It's just a big barrel. Get in that barrel. And you've got to stay in there for a, an amount of time. You get food? Of course you get food. I'm not... It's not evil. Stop making it sound evil. You said evil. they were horrible places. So what food do they yeah, get? Yeah, they get... Barrel bread. Barrel bread. Barrel water. water. Barrel water. Banky Moon isn't going to be like, stop it. <laughs> You've put a man in a barrel and you're feeding him bread and water. Banky Moon is going to tell you to stop it. I'll show him. It's nice. But not too nice. <laughs> Additional visitor accommodation was provided in the long house, including the Countess Elizabeth Bathory Chambers, complete with two torture chambers. This building also contained a swimming pool, pub, restaurant and the Wonder Nightclub. The outdoor facilities were supple supplemented by a sawdust-covered indoor riding hall and stables. Hmm. I dislike this. The thing I dislike the most about all of this is the need to tell me that the stables are sawdust-covered. Too much. That bit's too much. And that's it. That's all we get. That's all that they're going to tell us about this kingdom. No indication of whether anybody actually turned up or whether this hmm. is just one woman's fever dream. I suspect they did. It seems like it kept going for quite a while and that they spent two million pounds on it. I don't I don't I don't want to know more though at the same time. I don't I'm sort of fine with it. Uh yeah, I'm not compared to a Trump presidency, this yeah. can carry on as it is and I will not yeah. invest any of my it, this time is the thing. stopping it. How horrible my island will be. Look at the world we are in. <laughs> Surely mine is better. No. You're just full of barrels. What's better about that? And this as long as everybody's happy and everybody's on board, knock yourselves out. I'll trade barrels with you. Uh, they do have a Facebook account. Uh, it has 5,961 likes. Okay. It gets 58 public ratings, an average of four stars. And there's a comment on here from Mike, someone called Michael Slaveboy, who gives it five <laughs> stars, and he says, All males should show respect and worship superior women for many reasons. And this place is a very good start to how proper world should become. Can't argue with that. <laughs> this boy has been owned by a mistress for two years now and kept in chastity 24-7. She taught this boy respect and to learn appreciation for women and how we are nothing but animals to serve and please them. So that's nice. And there's other men who have... Oh, okay. That's um, an interesting photograph. All right, I won't discuss that on the podcast. Um, there's you have to now. What was it? Just a sexual image that should probably not be on Facebook. What was the sexual image? There's quite a lot. Oh, they're okay. There's some here that, uh, which are fully clothed women riding men as horses and whipping them as horses. <laughs> okay, you know it's just just normal, normal stuff. Normal stuff. Um, there is. Um, oh, it seems it's now in Jordan. It's uh, it's moved it's from moved Czech Republic to... and it's in Jordan. Okay. And then there's a oh oh dear, there's a message from Alip Miskan 
who says, I have a lot of patience because if I didn't, I would murder just about everyone in my life. Women is rubbish. <laughs> so there's some conflicting reports on here. I think I struggle. He doesn't with. sound that patient, that man. No. He sounds like he's on a knife edge of committing an atrocity. In fact, I feel like we have an obligation to report that man <laughs> to the police. Um, interestingly, the BDSM community have their own Wikipedia, which is called the Wikipedia. Nice. Clever. That's nice, yeah. Good. Um, there is, if you are interested in, in doing some further reading or watching, there's a Vimeo account, or there's a video, video Vimeo video, which is at vimeo.com forward slash 87214832. Here in the other world kingdom, every woman is considered a goddess. Men that come here must honor ladies, crawl around at their feet and whimper for the tiniest bit of attention. Only the most loyal and useful creatures ever can hope to be regarded as more than an immensely stupid animal or some living instrument humbly fulfilling a woman's every need and whim. And it's no wonder. Is there any other way for a superior being to look upon witless male creatures? Creatures which maybe even today think in their limited brains that they are some kind of masters? These kneeling creatures have already realized where their proper place is. But when will all the others understand? A woman is naturally predetermined to superiority thanks to her intelligence, beauty, and ability to give life. This being the case, she has full right to expect that inferior males not only regard her as a goddess, but also act towards her with utter humility. And like a goddess, she can be generous, merciful, and friendly, and on other days, mean and cruel. See, I nearly went for this myself. My thought here is, my one thing I want to do with this podcast is every opportunity that I get, I want us to get through all of S Club 7. We want to complete the set. I want to complete the set, yeah. Do you know how you get well into your Pokemon? <laughs> this is the same for me. I want to go through every one. You want to Club 7 go? That's, that's what I want. <laughs> So we've had Rachel and Joe. So presumably you've chosen the member of S Club 7 that you think we're least likely to stumble upon randomly. Yes. So effectively the one that's got the smallest body of work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we've gone with Paul Catamole here. Yeah. Good choice. He's, he's the member of S Club 7 that's most like us. He's the one... <laughs> it could have happened to any of us. He's the one that I'm most likely to walk past on the street without noticing he's a member of S Club 7. But he's the most likely... That you'll meet in a, you know, a little gig for some twee indie band. I think he's more rock. You're more likely to find him at a low gig than you are, you know, Tina. That's probably true. Or Bradley, or John, or the others. Mm. Now this, uh, this mission that you've set yourself to mm-hmm. making sure Wiki Shuffle covers the entirety of S Club 7. Yeah. Are we extending this to the S Club Juniors? Ah, oh, you've added another level with it now. Mm. Potentially, yes. And is your next article today another member of S Club 7? Paul Gerald Catamole. His middle name's Gerald. Yeah. Oh, he's too young a man to have the middle name Gerald. I don't dislike He's not Paul. young, he's 39. Yeah, too young to have the middle name Gerald. This is a contemporary Your middle name's mind. Gerald. My middle name is not Gerald. What I is did it? not go to school with a sink. My middle name's Edward, and there's nothing wrong with my middle name. <laughs> Mine's Graham, so, yeah. If you're listening to this and you're called Gerald and you're under the age of 50, then you're in, you, you would be aware that you're unusual. He was born on March the 7th, 1977 in St Albans in Hertfordshire and he is an English singer and actor. 
He is a member of S Club 7. Use of present tense there is notable. <laughs> That's also the worst picture. Yeah. It's just, uh, it could be anyone. Well, it's like karaoke. Can, no, it's certainly a horrific photograph. He looks like a dad at a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Chris. Let's be honest. He you looks like what? Chris. From a distance, you would think that was me. Yeah. Doing a bit of karaoke. Catamole was a member of the National Youth Music Theatre and appeared in Pendragon in 1994. He studied on a theatre and acting course at the Mount View Drama School and he was spotted by Simon Fuller's 19 Entertainment when he appeared in a show there and was asked to audition for S Club 7. I think S Club 7 was the, a pretty bog-standard pop band that was manufactured by people, which I've got no problem with. No, like what's wrong with that? Seven. If you're putting together any other job of work, then you audition and you yeah. get the right appropriate person for the job. What's wrong with that? And they just found the seven most capable yeah. pop people, like Power Rangers. Yeah, it was kind of like Power Rangers, yeah. I don't have a counter-argument, so yeah, I guess so. Okay, and good. Simon Fuller is Zordon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like and it. And Louis Walsh is Alpha Z. Don't understand any of the words you're saying, but yeah, sure. Catamole became a member of S Club 7 after a series of auditions, along with members Tina Barrett, John Lee, Bradley McIntosh, Joe O'Meara, Hannah Joe. Spirit and Rachel Stevens in 1999. During five years, they released four number one singles and one number one album. They also had a series of TV shows, Miami 7, LA 7, Hollywood 7 and Viva S Club. In March 2002, Paul Catamol told The Sun newspaper that it was time for him to move on from the group and he wanted to go back to his rock roots. I didn't know he had rock He's roots. He's got rock roots. Can um, you go back to your rock roots after being in Miami 7? Charlie from Busted did. He did, didn't he? And now he's back again. They all come crawling (laughs) back once their rock careers fail. Have I told my story about Charlie from Busted? No, I do not believe you have told your story about Charlie from Busted. Please do. He went to Uppingham. Uppingham. They're local boys. Yeah, because they're local. I didn't uh, know that. Yes, Stephen Fry did as well. But he wasn't in Busted. He's been Busted. (laughs) (laughs) And I used to know a girl that worked there. Charlie, when he was a child. Charlie's the very handsome one, isn't he? Is that? Am I getting mm, the right busted arguably, member? Is he's, he's not the one that's eyebrows. married to Emma, lovely Emma Willis, and he's mm. not the one that looks like a little chipmunk. The other one. He's the one with the eyebrows. The one with the eyebrows. I'd say he's the best looking one. See, if he's who I'm thinking of, then I would. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Let me just check he's who I'm thinking of, because I don't want to... But anyway, when he used to go to that school, the cleaner there was like an old... Do you remember our old cleaner at school? Like an old Molly. lady. Like Molly. Oh, an Molly. old lady that used to do the Hoover and everything. Mm-hmm. What he used to do was he would walk behind the cleaner while she was hoovering and just drop biscuits behind oh. her. What a bell end. Exactly. What a bell end. That's just what she... That's just something that I remember. But examining. if you were going to go back and think of all the things we did at school... I never did that. You would never do... You would never do that. And you were a dick. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it to Molly, but maybe the other one. <laughs> she was a twat. That, but that is, that's just... You know, it was like Molly and she always... Came round and it was her and the other one. Do you remember Molly? I remember Molly. Yeah. Molly was the loveliest human that's ever been. How could Molly have still been there? She was like 90 when yeah. I left. Yeah, yeah, she was still there. She was lovely. That, that just didn't occur to me, the 10-year gap that Molly yeah. might still have been So there. in my head, Charlie from Busted makes me think of the, uh, the worst sort of dickhead that you went to school with. I feel like that's a proper celebrity scoop we've got there. Paul Catamol told the Sun newspaper that it was time for him to move on from the group and he wanted to go back to his rock roots, which heralded back to the time he was part of a new metal band. That's NU Metal, by the way. Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Uh, 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 new metal. 
<laughs> the, uh, the club remix yeah. on Shooting Stars. Uh, uh, which held him back to the time he was part of a new metal band with his old school friends. You see, yeah, the model of nationally auditioning from established schools of theatre and drama has got to be a more effective way of putting a band together than just whoever happened to be in your class. You need to spread that net wider. Talking about his former musical venture three months before he left S Club 7, Catamol described the band, who had been called Skua, S-K-U-A. Skua? As having a... <laughs> Skua. <laughs> Sounds like a Scandinavian dish. Skua. Um, Skua, or... yoghurt. <laughs> yeah. Or a bedside table from Ikea. Yeah. <laughs> as having a limp biscuit vibe. Great. Oh, the best kind of vibe. As well as comparing their style to Rage Against the Machine. Catamol's resignation came as Skua had decided to reform and he found it a perfect time to make the transition back from pop to rock <laughs> as S Club 7's record contracts were up for renewal. Catamol stayed with the band until June 2002 featuring 4 out of 13 episodes of the group's final TV series Viva S Club and performing his final concert with the group for Party at the Palace which was part of Queen Elizabeth II's Golden Jubilee celebrations. He's still angry at the Queen. I'm always angry at the Queen. <laughs> so he went off to um, go and rejoin Skua. Going to rejoin Skua? I've, I've, I'm not familiar with any any of Skua's work. No, I've never heard of them. Maybe they're great. The stars, they shine bright. I am waiting for your mind to be made up. I am waiting for the high life Broken pieces of your heart I can't pick up when you live After a five-year split, it was announced in October 2008 that Omira, Catamol and Macintosh were to perform a mini-reunion tour. That's not seven. No, I think that their, their money might have run out. Mm. They were actually called S Club 3. They used to do a They'd tour have, of the unis. sad, isn't it? They'd have missed a trick if they hadn't, surely. Any other name would have been unsatisfying. Well, call, them, no, call yourself S Club 2 and then when you turn up and Bradley's there as well. <laughs> oh, God, we didn't invite you. <laughs> The tour consisted of a series of university and nightclub gigs, oh, the peak of artistic achievement, mm. where they performed a set list consisting of a selection of songs from their greatest hits album. This had been performing in various nightclubs, universities and Butlin's holiday camps around the United Kingdom. After Amira, Catamol and Macintosh reunited, rumours persisted that S Club would fully reunite with all seven members. Barrett rejoined the group for one performance in March 2014. If they did get back together, I'd be up for it. Even with racist Joe. We talked about this at length. I don't think Joe was really that racist. I don't think she did anything particularly reprehensible. I think she did. No, I don't think she did. Let's not open this kind of worm. As I recall it, she was part of a group that wasn't being particularly pleasant to somebody, but to suggest that she is deserving of the title racist Joe from S Club 7 for the rest of her life seems, seems a bit unfair. I can't, I can't remember the specifics. I remember thinking that she was not the leader of this little group. No. That she, she didn't, could have... She didn't was the to stop it. No, you're right. You're right. It's, just, it's nice for me to say racist joke. In a time where 
the leader of the free world has uh, openly expressed true. views which are undeniably and obviously a thousand times more racist than anything that Joe mm. O'Meara has ever done or said. So what? So you're saying that we should rebrand all the former racists into, what, just normal folk? Donald Trump was up for raping a 13-year-old as well, so sh- should we go back to all the paedophiles and say, ah, actually, you're probably all right. No. Stuart Hall only touched 15-year-olds, so he's probably not fair to call him a paedophile. No, I'm not saying that. That's what I heard. <laughs> Case closed. Uh, all right, and we got you with the same bit of logic last week, so it seems only fair. <laughs> <laughs> Rumours persisted that S Club would fully reunite with all seven members. Barrett rejoined the group for one performance in March 2014. In October 2014, it was confirmed that the original lineup would reunite for the first time in over a decade for BBC Children in Need. S Club 7 announced their plans for an arena reunion tour promptly entitled Bring It All Back 2015, which toured the UK in May 2015 and passed me by entirely. Mm. It's a good idea to put a little clip it of... Clip it? Snip it? I like clip it, though. Clip it. Put a little clip it in mm-hmm. of S Club 7 doing Children in Need because it was a, a wonderful moment. In January 2014, Skewer reformed with all original members. The members had not seen one another for almost 12 years. Then in early 2014, they made contact with each other via Facebook and a meetup was organised soon after. They initially planned to release the material they had recorded in 2002 and have a jam during the jam <laughs> session. I, on, on my, in my country... Which we haven't really talked about my country <laughs> no. because I haven't thought it through as much as yours. But one of my laws and my rule books will be longer than 40 pages. Oh, God. I'm definitely outlawing the phrase jam session. I'm just outlawing it. <laughs> the more you think about it, yeah, it, is great. it sounds yeah. gross. And if anybody does it, if anybody talks about having a jam, I'm going to put them in a barrel and then throw that barrel off a high building. Yeah, I'll supply the barrels. Thanks. During the jam session, guitarist Stevie Key played a demo yeah. of the track that would become their first single. During the jam session? Just think about the words. What are you doing yesterday? We're having a jam session. It's gross. It's horrible. Uh, should we learn a little bit more about Paul Catamol the man? Yes. It's only fair. Catamol and Hannah Spirit first met as members of the National Youth Music Theatre in 1994. At the time, Paul was 17 years old and Hannah was 14. They appeared together in Pendragon. In 1999, Catamol and Spirit were both selected as band members of a seven-member pop group named S Club 7. Don't feel as though I'm learning about the man here. <laughs> where they became good friends. In May 2001, the friendship developed into a romantic relationship. Ah, oh, this is nice. This is a nice story. Doesn't this sound nice? Yeah, it sounds nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. They it, ca- it is, hang on. Are you, are you seething with rage here? Phil, because I know you have a thing for Hannah. There's a degree of jealousy. 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 
<laughs> there's a degree of jealousy because Hannah Spirit is lovely. I'm just thinking I think whether Paul might be lovely. I, he might. I'm not saying that he's not, but he's not me, is he? No, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> um, so he was 17 and 40. So there's a three-year age difference. I think that is that creepy. Does that become creepy? Nah, it's all right. I'll let him, no, I'll, I, think I don't okay. think that's creepy. They, they weren't 17. No and romance began they, until seven years later. I think that's yes, fine. That's fine. Okay. They kept their relationship a secret for the first six months, waiting until November 2001 to make a public announcement. Oh, I remember that press conference well. <laughs> um, <laughs> their S Club bandmates were supportive of the relationship. <laughs> I'd love it if they weren't. <laughs> no, no. Fuck off, Yoko. Um, <laughs> Catamol don't the... touch him <laughs> yeah, they'd all had their hearts set on him <laughs> the whole of S Club 7's career was just the waiting to decide to find out which one Paul was going to choose <laughs> Catamol departed from the band in 2002 but the couple continued to date S Club 7 announced in 2003 that they were to disband in early 2006 Catamol and Spirit's five year relationship ended oh in June 2015, Catamol and Spirit started a romantic relationship Hooray! again. However, they split again in November 2015. Oh, what a <laughs> oh, it's up and down and up and down. But, Anna Spirit, you would, wouldn't you? So we've reached the halfway stage. We've just taken a little break so that I could have a sausage sandwich. And look at your magic cards. And you've all been very impressed with my collection of Magic the Gathering cards. Impressed. I think my reaction was one of shock. Because I knew you had a collection of Magic the Gathering cards. Mm -hmm. But I also knew that you started this six weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And what I found in your room was not a collection of six weeks. You know, like an interest in something that's sort of Yeah. It was um, what I would have expected from a hardcore Magic the Gatherer. You're a hardcore sorcerer now. We had a lot of um, a lot of cards, like oh. a lot of, however many you're thinking he's got, listeners. Triple it, quadruple it. Mm. But it's not just the number of cards; it's how effectively maintained and filed they are. That's the thing to be impressed. I'm sure by. they would have considered that. <laughs> are you willing to tell the listeners how much you've spent on this in six weeks? It's in the region of a thousand pounds. Then there is there's a competitive element to this, isn't there? Yes. So what this is this is what I struggle with, the competitive element of it, mm-hmm. because the people that play this who aren't it's pay to win. Yeah, they so the, the grown ups, win. the grown ups with like you, you, you play against the children. The children are they you you know that got shitty cards. There is an element of that, and. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? I'm a grown-up. Suck it. <laughs> Suck it, loser children. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but there are certainly enough people out there like me who are the elite. invested in that way. I don't know. I can remember, I've, only, I've only played once in a proper environment. I'm going for my second. Oh, what, what, what's the proper environment? Is it a cave? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's the back room of a gaming shop. Oh, so, so in, in many ways, yes, no. yes, it is. Have you been surrounded by lava. It's not going. No, they don't have them at Games Workshop because it's they only do Games Workshop games at Games Workshop. Don't you know anything? No. What's, what games place is it then? It's an independent one in rugby. You go to rugby. Yeah. Just to play Magic. 
Yeah. Were you nervous <laughs> the first time you showed up? Yeah, really nervous because it's a social environment. I'm not good in those anyway. So yeah, It's not a social really environment. Nervous. It's the back room of a game shop in rugby, Phil. <laughs> that is the least social environment you could ever wish to hope for. So you go in and there's just what? Nerds? Yeah, the, the demographic's not far removed from what you'd expect it to be. So Did there it were... stink? No, it didn't. That's oh. that, the, the, the body odour problem wasn't where I thought worried it might be, because certainly I've walked, there's a games workshop in Kettering, and I've, I've wandered past that a few times, and there's been a waft of hmm. pubescent boy coming out of there that's thoroughly unpleasant. But no, the personal hygiene of, the other, of my fellow competitors was good. And how did you introduce yourself? Good evening. <laughs> good evening, fellow wizards. I am Phileas of the Shamans. Yeah. I am here to show you my magic. Yes, like that. It was, it was it was exactly like that. You've got it right. I feel like you followed me around. So have you been back since? Have you made friends? Uh, I haven't made friends. I'm going back on Friday. No, you haven't made friends? I haven't made friends yet. Give me a chance. Have you only been once? You haven't got the ring of trust. <laughs> I've only been once so far, yeah, so my my per visit cost has been £1,000 per go so far, which seems like a, quite an expensive hobby. But Just a high-end will... prostitute, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your hobby is a high-end prostitute, but you don't get to come. Unless you do, in which case... Speak for yourself. The, the <laughs> back rooms of those games workshops are yeah. even worse than they, I thought. They put plastic sheeting down for a reason. No. <laughs> so did, was anyone else in there female? There was one... Sorceress. Sorceress. There, there was one sorceress. And uh, was everyone was sort of salivating over there. her because she's a female? No, she was only about 18, so that would have been a bit creepy. I, my only experience of this, when I was like 11, 12, just, so just as we were starting secondary school, I sort of tried the, the games workshop thing, and it wasn't for me. But I do remember being in there and getting told off because I put a paintbrush in the wrong way around. And then that was the point for me, I thought... I'm getting told off by a guy who works in Games Workshop. I'm, I, I quit. So <laughs> that was my point. I can't imagine going back to it. I, I wouldn't like to. Not after that embarrassment. It's Not after a shame. You, you're still on their band list. I went in with my dad one day, who was at this point was like, I've, I've raised this. <laughs> and um, yeah. they were having. Yeah. They were having. Doesn't know which around to put a paintbrush. <laughs> they were having a, a game. I never got to the point where I understood what the rules of Warhammer were. I don't really understand it. And my dad picked up one of the things mid-game and went pew, 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 and made fun of them. <laughs> and the people in the shop were horrified. So even yes. if I wanted to go back, I wouldn't have been allowed. Black ball. Yes, Graham. <laughs> it's the most human story you've ever told about your dad, though, which is interesting. What other ones have I told there? He sounds like just, a... Well, yeah, just no, he's just, it, it, just a, a lift machine. It's just, a, <laughs> yes. it's just there to be summoned. I've never heard any yeah. story where he's expressed any kind of human emotion. No, normally he's just like, like taxi. Mm. But, um, no, yeah. He, is, he does have human... But not now you've got your car. I've now you can car. go anywhere. Mm. Like Phil has been able to go anywhere with his car and he chooses yeah. to go to rugby. <laughs> to sit in a games workshop. It's not a games workshop. It's the same thing. <laughs> Who's magic made by? Uh, Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the same company that does Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. How's your LARPing? Have, yeah. you, have you not done that since the magic? And why are, you so, why are you so like, no, I don't LARP, I don't LARP, but you're quite happy to admit that you spent £1,000 on Magic the Gathering cards in six weeks. But I'm not... <laughs> I'm not opposed to the act of LARPing. I'm just, in, as a statement of record and accuracy above all else in Wikishuffle is our number one watchword, I have never LARPed. That's just a statement of fact, and I want, the, I want this to be an have accurate you ever, record. Uh, no, have you ever but done sexy role play? No. You've, you've never been like, 
Okay, I'm the policeman and you're the naughty girl. <laughs> That's hot. That's rubbish. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying I'm to put myself in Phil's position. Done, I'm <laughs> guessing you've never done sexy roleplay either. This isn't about me, Phil. This is about you. But does this not count as laughing? Is there an element of roleplay involved in magic? Because you've got like a shimmering mist out there. <laughs> What's when, when you When you play the, um, the, the shoehorn goblin card, do you say, here comes the shoehorn goblin. He's going to take your keys away no not no, at all don't. there's none of that to do you ever all. say it's... like here's here's the the lace wing shiva and she's going to shoot her spikes at you no are, no? We, are we bullying <laughs> i don't think i think once you admit that you've invested a thousand pounds in six weeks on uh, magic the gathering yeah you cannot complain if you get a little bit bullied Fair point. I'm not complaining. Okay. I think you make valid points. But I will say it isn't like LARPing. Okay. It's just a card Is game. it played in silence? I'm genuinely curious. Like, Because me and uh, some of the people I work with were witnessing, you didn't, unaware to you, from above, you and someone else that we work with playing this game and we couldn't hear anything. We were, we were shocked. <laughs> but we watched and you didn't seem to be saying anything so is it a game played in silence like chess I don't believe you're snooping on we me. were snooping yeah when you get really good players that they can practically play in silence because they understand all the mechanics so well hmm. that it goes without saying but we have because we're noobs yeah I'm, I'm above the oh, age so at which you can legitimately use the word noob so you're these, these people in rugby they're all newbies as well no there were definitely some people there that really knew their stuff I haven't played enough to really gauge how good they were. This is like the interval of the podcast. Hmm. Can we get on with what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> I guess. There's, but... there's, time, there's time in the future for you to mock me more for my new hobby. Uh, you know we're only joking. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm happy that you have a hobby because you seem happy. And um, that's not, not often the case. Thank you. Well, what? I'm a miserable man. <laughs> yeah. And it's just nice to see a smile on your face. And admittedly no money in your pocket. But no. cards mm. on your shelves. <laughs> yeah. And binders and boxes, <laughs> and they are... Oh, one detail that we do need to share with the listeners is that every single card in every single box is individually wrapped. It has its own little yeah. protective, protective sleeve. sleeve. Yeah. We have talked about it like before, but I, this is something I could not get into. My, I just couldn't... Because you're not an organised man. I'm not, no, I'm quite happy to admit I'm not organised. Uh, I am a bit, a bit scatterbrained. So I couldn't... That, the thing that you're into that draws you to this is... Not the something filing. I can... Yeah. The admin. The admin of it. Yeah, something that I can't even... No. Fair enough. But I like that you have it. Thanks. And you're having um, fun. So let's roll that dice. We've got... Okay. We've got three more articles to go. We've got one each left to mm-hmm. present. And the next one is going to be another of Chris's. Oh, okay. Oh, number five has come up, has it? It has indeed. The proof is on the screen, should you wish to check. I mean, we're going to do them all. Yeah, yeah. and if you're defrauding the listeners at this stage, I'd have to ask what's in it for you. <laughs> Excellent. Right, Chris's selection. Chris's second selection is Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just it. remember this from my youth. This is the TV series yeah. Harry and the Hendersons, not the film. Nope. Bigfoot and the Hendersons. So he's Harry and the Hendersons. He gets his own credit in the TV yeah. series. I just like the idea of just this big hairy man living 
living in a house with a family, and just getting by day to day. Well, then this is the show for you, yeah. because that's pretty much what happens. Harry and the Hendersons is an American sitcom based on the film of the same name. Except it wasn't the same name. It was I thought it was Harry and Hendersons. Too did I, to be honest. Because I remember being a bit confused as mm. to which came first or how it was. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. In the United Kingdom, the film... This is... I'm looking at the Harry and the Hendersons page for the film now. Ah, 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 ah. In the United Kingdom, the film was originally released as Bigfoot and the oh, Hendersons. Okay. okay. Though the TV series retained the American title. The DVD and all current showings of the movie in the UK now refer to the movie by its original title. All right. We were just not old enough to remember yeah. when it was released as... It used to be, uh, I remember it used to be on in the morning... Before I went to school, sometimes. Oh, I loved it. I don't know what it's like. I this, have a feeling it might be rubbish. It's this and dinosaurs. I remember them fondly. Dinosaurs um, is not a good TV show. Good music. Excellent music. And to be fair, the baby is funny. Baby's funny. We've got the whole not the mama stuff, but it is just a Simpsons ripoff and not yeah, a particularly good one. And it ended mm. with the apocalypse. It did, yeah. Don't know about Harry and the Hendersons, probably the same. I, don't know. I remember the film Harry and the Hendersons and liking it a lot, uh, but my sister in particular absolutely loved it. It was one because she'd only been little at the time. It was one of the, you know, you always got films that as a kid you just watch and watch and watch and watch. Yeah. Big Fun Hendersons was one of those for her. I, I remember film. her watching it over and over again. Uh, John Lithgow, John Lithgow's brilliant, isn't he? Not in the TV series though, so I'll put him to one side. Your feet's too big. Don't want you cause your feet's too big. Can't you use you cause your feet's too big? I love you cause your feet's too big. Oh, your feet's too big. Don't want you cause your feet's too big. Mad at you cause your feet's too big. I love you even if your feet's too big. Harry and the is an American sitcom based on the film of the same name produced by Amblin Television. The series aired in syndication from January the 13th, 1991. One day after Chris's third birthday and one day before my third mm. birthday. I'll have you know. Not interesting, but there it is all the same. So, yeah, how, how therefore do you remember it? You were too little. Uh, this is why my brain's broken, or <laughs> I, I don't know how old I am. No, it must have been on. Like, we, we would have been three when it was on in when it was first aired in America. Probably yeah. came out later in the UK, and it ran till 1903, and we would have been five then, and that's... Oh, yeah, I remember things like Brookside and CFAX and all that sort of stuff. I remember CFAX. Yeah, I know, but I just, uh, I just can go back in time more. So the series ran from January 1991 to June 1993 with 72 half-hour episodes produced. The series is about a family who adopts a Bigfoot called Harry. Have you ever seen a Bigfoot? Potentially. Go on. No, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just I'm not ruling it out. I, I don't know, maybe. They hide, don't they, Bigfoot? Well, if it's have hidden, you ever you seen can't one? See it. Well, it might be hanging around, and I just haven't seen it. Have well, you then ever the seen it? No, then isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I'm not ruling them out as existing. That's it's not the same thing. Have you ever seen Bigfoot? Maybe I just well, haven't maybe. seen one. Yeah, maybe. Have you on? Have maybe. You have you? Maybe. But you think you might have seen one and just not registered it? Yeah. Well, it have you ever unlikely, registered seeing a, a Bigfoot? No. Okay, thank you. Let's move on. <laughs> Bruce Davison and Molly Cheek played the parents in the film. They were played by John Lithgow and Melinda Dillon, with Carol Ann Plant and Zachary Bostrom as the children. Kevin Peter Hall played the role of Harry in both the film and TV series until his death late in the production of the first season. Oh, God. Harry. that's, That's sad. He was replaced first by Dawn Scott and then by Brian Steele in the third series. 
The curse. The curse of Bigfoot and the Henderson. Yeah. Well, it didn't say that Dawn Scott died. It doesn't say, so maybe. Did you ever see Dawn Scott die? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> In the series, George and Nancy were an upwardly mobile two-career couple with the former working for a sporting goods company. George eventually launched his own magazine, The Better Life, late in the second season. Initially helping the Hendersons with Harry's care and Sasquatch research was Walter Potter, mm. a biologist working for the Department of Animal Control. Okay. Also seen early on were the Glicks, neighbours of the Hendersons. Samantha was a pretty young single mother and reporter, and Tiffany was her precocious little girl, a classmate of Ernie's who had an obvious crush on him. Samantha, Tiffany and Walter were all written out after the first season. We know about the things like this happening, a difficult first season, and then they rearrange it. Stop um, talking about Goodnight Sweetheart. I, I think we've mentioned it once. Now you've mentioned it. Honestly, do you know how much of our life we are forced to spend thinking about Goodnight Sweetheart? It's hard to turn it off. And I whose fault was it. that? Yours, directly oh, yeah. yours. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dream about it the other night. That's, that's how much it's infiltrating my brain. Oh, you and Phoebe making the sweet, no, sweet love. No, it was... Oh, Dad. Oh, Dad. No, it was just... It just I was just watching Good Night, Sweetheart. In your dream? Yeah. Nice dream. No, it wasn't. It wasn't nice at all. <laughs> Family Next Door was written out after the first season, but the aspect of having a girl next door who chased after Ernie was retained through a new character, Darcy Payne, for the 91-92 to 92 season. Darcy was more annoying than her predecessor and spent all her waking hours trying to make the Henderson's young son hers. Hmm. Creepy. <laughs> However, she did catch on to the fact that the family was hiding a Bigfoot. Well done. It would be quite difficult to hide a Bigfoot. Oh, and therein lies the comedy. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, Darcy disappeared from the show before she could have exposed the secret about him. Oh, Nancy's younger brother they killed Brooke. her didn't they <laughs> either Harry ate her or the family disposed of her yeah just fed her to the big fight. I can't remember did Harry speak talking of disposing um, with young girls I had a dream that oh, uh, Jerry McCann was trying to kill me the other day not because I'd disposed of the young girl but he had that it was revealed I had the information that he had killed Madeline and I exposed it to the world and then I found myself in Leicester Hospital and he was chasing me around it was really scary Oh, didn't see Kate Darcy disappeared from the show before she could have exposed the secret about him. Nancy's younger brother Brett, a photographer, moved in with the Hendersons in the second season and was also sworn to secrecy about Harry. When George began The Better Life in the spring of 1992, Brett was hired as the publication's chief photographer and a financial beneficiary. Yeah, that's what I meant to say before you started talking about Madeleine McCann. Did, did Harry speak? Yeah. No, he? no, he? he just sort of grunted. He emoted, yeah. but he didn't have language. The following year brought many changes, as in the season premiere, Harry's existence was accidentally exposed. <gasps> just as the Hendersons feared he would be captured by the government and possibly killed. Like he was rather embraced by the public and received overnight regional fame. For a while, Harry had to adjust to a high-profile life full of exhibition and additional scientific studies. Oh. But at the same time, the entire family got used to resting more comfortably now that they did not have to hide the big creature from view anymore. If this was a drama and not a comedy, one of the ones towards the end, probably the, the finale, would have been... They've been, you know, the family is stressed and tired. Harry's, Harry's obviously killed something. And so the last bit would be just like the dad going up with a gun and just putting a bullet in Harry's head, crying while he does it. Silent credits. I think Harry would have been on uh, Animal Autopsy on Channel 4. <laughs> I think that's how it would have ended. But I have just looked at the episode titles and there is some gold in here. Some very troubling gold. Episode 7 night of season <laughs> 1 is called Banging the Big One. Yeah. Yeah. And that's followed by 
Harry the Hiroshima, which is like Harry the Hero Shimmer. Hmm. Harry the Hiroshima. That's oh. troubling. Harry goes ape shit. <laughs> what? <laughs> called Harry goes ape shit. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have asterisked out the I in shit, though, so presumably that's fine. It might be Harry goes <laughs> ape sh- shat. No, that's just as bad. Just on a rampage. <laughs> There's the Bigfoot that ate Starbucks, Harry and the Masked Wrestler and the Legend of the Stone Table. Ooh, that sounds like one of the film. Oh, God, you've just reminded me that we've still got a wrestling article to go. Uh... You know, it'd be good. And then the final two episodes of that series were called When Harry Met Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> and Harry and the Cheerleaders Do Dallas. Now, mm. when you two are finished with Goodnight Sweet Cast, yeah. can you please do Harry and Anderson's? No. Yeah, it'll be no, good. No, it'll be good. It'll be good. It'll be good. It'll be good. Let's do it. And by we, I mean you. Episode 17 is called Sarah Spills the Bigfoot Beans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh. That's so horrible. And then episode 23 is, I got your birthday right here. Uh, <laughs> Harry. And then uh, there's more tortured puns in season three with the Bigfoot-Turian candidate. <sighs> episode nine is called, Blood is Thicker Than an Arm. <laughs> 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 and episode 20 is called, Big Feet, Big Dot Dot Dot. Except they've not done dot dot dot. That's not an ellipsis, is it? No, it's. Oh, it makes me so. It's angry. five dots, and it makes yeah, me so angry. I know, I know. It makes, I, it's, it's difficult. Just, it's such a simple rule. I have to deal with this daily. And you then the, do, the, the final this is three dots. I know, I know, I know I'm Phil. Let, I know. I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna let it go. Yeah, I, I'm with you, but you know, let's move on. I'd really like to watch all of these and do a podcast. Yeah, why not? I'm going to do nothing to stand in your way. Listeners, if you want to see Phil and Chris do a podcast on Harry and Anderson's, write in and they will get to it straight after Goodnight Sweetcast finishes. There is no straight after. We're doing Goodnight Sweetcast for the next five years of our life. <laughs> straight after. <laughs> Good God. It's number six. Hey! So it's Phil's we'll have the wrestling one last. That's appropriate for when we've got no listeners left organically. That's not an excuse for people to turn off because it's going to be a good article. Promise. It's got Donald Trump in it. It's got... Oh, yay. People will definitely listen. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) wants to talk about Donald Trump. Oh, God. What? Wait, no. What? You're not supposed to pick stuff like this. (laughs) Well, we all assumed that Jack was going to pick the miserable, depressing articles, but he's actually gone quite upbeat with his choices. Mm. Although it remains to be seen what, what wrestler he's chosen. Chris Benoit. Yeah, God, have you? <laughs> no. So I've gone for a disaster because we like to touch on the darker elements of human history. But I've gone for a comedy disaster, so that's all right, isn't it? Comedy disasters. How many people died? Um, significant number. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read out the Wikipedia article for the Great Molasses Flood. Mm. Right, I've heard this word before. I'm not quite sure I know what a molasses is. I hate this word. I don't know what it is. I just don't like the word. It sound. It doesn't sound like what it, it's supposed to be. No. That's why I think do you know I don't I mean? know what it is. But I think it's another word for something else that I do know. Something to do with fish? In the UK, we're more likely to refer to molasses as black treacle. 
Oh, okay. So molasses or black treacle is a viscous byproduct of refining sugarcane or sugar beets ah. into sugar. Molasses varies by amounts of sugar, method of extraction, and age of plants. Molasses is primarily used for sweetening and flavouring foods. It is Sticky. a defining component of fine commercial brown sugar. All right. Sticky goo. Sticky goo. There's a Radiohead song called Molasses, and I've just never liked it. I don't like the word. So we're talking about black treacle. The Great Molasses Flood, also known as the Boston Molasses Disaster, or the Great Boston <laughs> Molasses Flood, occurred on January 15th, 19, on January 15th, 1919. You okay? I'm all right. Okay. <laughs> I told you, this is what happens. We don't, we can't podcast for this long. In the North End neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts, a large molasses storage tank burst and a wave of molasses rushed through through the streets at an estimated 35 miles per hour. I would have thought it went quite slowly. There's a lot of questions to be answered about fluid, fluid mechanics in this article. Mm. I know that that's what everyone was listening for. <laughs> <laughs> Just quickly, the other day I was outside with Phil in work and we got onto the conversation of how things float. <laughs> I've never been as like shocked. <laughs> it was much harder work than it should have been explaining to my co-workers how floating works. <laughs> I witnessed it unfold, and to be fair, I wasn't entirely sure myself. You weren't on board. You, st- you still I don't think magic. that boats should be able to float. Well, no, because they're heavy. Mm, but they're not heavier than the water <laughs> that they displace. It's a very simple thing that's okay, going on. Okay, right. All right. Let's not go down this hole. But okay. I'm. Skeptical. <laughs> You're skeptical of floating. Yeah. Back to 1919, Massachusetts. A large molasses storage tank burst and a wave of molasses rushed through the streets at an estimated 35 miles per hour, killing 21 Ooh. and injuring 150. The event has entered local folklore, and for decades afterward, residents claimed that on a hot summer days, the area still smelled of molasses. I don't understand how this. You picture treacle, and this is what we're talking about. Treacle, think honey, think golden syrup. You think, pour some of that out. There is no way that you couldn't outrun that. There is no quantity of that that would (laughs) form a hazard. No, it's like in um, Austin Powers or something, and when they're a slow-moving vehicle, and everybody's just screaming, but for too long? Mm -hmm. Is that what happened? Because I I can't see this being quick. No, like this isn't no. like a tsunami. This is but, like, but it is thirty-five miles an hour. It's really quick. It's quicker than a tsunami. But it's gooey. I know. <laughs> it doesn't add up. You can kind of understand what being swept away by water might feel like, but being swept away by something that's practically solid. Thinking about it, if you remember the Tommy Lee Jones film Volcano, that moved at a very similar sort of slow. Slow group. And I'm not sure how accurate that is because I think that's one of the problems with that film is that that's, you don't have that kind of notice with lava flow. The disaster occurred at the Purity Distilling Company facility on January 15th, 1919. The temperature had risen above 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which is only 4 degrees centigrade, so it's a really cold day. But it was climbing rapidly from the frigid temperatures of the preceding days. Molasses can be fermented to produce rum and ethanol, the active ingredient in other alcoholic beverages and a key component in the manufacturing of munitions. The stored molasses was awaiting transfer to the purity plant situated between Willow Street and what is now Everty's Way in Cambridge. 
At about 12.30 in the afternoon near Kenny Square at 529 Commercial Street, a molasses tank 50 feet tall and 90 feet in diameter and containing as much as 2,300,000 US gallons collapsed. Witnesses variously reported that as it collapsed, they felt the ground shake and heard a roar, a long rumble similar to the passing of an elevated train. A tremendous crashing, a deep growling or a thunderclap-like bang and as the rivets shot out of the tank, a machine gun-like rat-a-tat sound. I can't picture this in my brain. It's too much, isn't it? It's too far removed from anything that's ever happened. Yeah. So basically, so you've got these this steel riveted, like the hulk of a ship, just tearing apart and just spitting its rivets all out, and then a tidal wave of syrup behind it. See, so when I think of that, I do think of the same as if, like, the golden syrup, and it's really slow. So I imagine it bursting, and then I can just imagine, like, a wall of it just... Glooping out. You, yeah. Not rushing out. Uh, it's all very troubling, isn't it? I had syrup on my pancakes this morning. And you I, did. I feel I felt a bit sick all day since then. So I can't imagine what this would be like. Mm. Mm. Same. It's exactly the same. Probably. The collapse unleashed a wave of molasses eight meters high at its peak, moving at thirty-five miles per hour. So a tall man is two meters high. So mm. you've got four people standing on top of each other. That's just a wall of syrup but coming out. In you. that case, I don't, I don't want to get too much into this because it might break me. But it's heavy. Is that what caused devastation then? Because it is. Oh, it's the the weight, yeah, yeah. and just the force. But they of say it about with tsunamis, that is the problem, isn't it? Yeah, they gather stuff up. The molasses wave was a sufficient force to damage the girders of the adjacent Boston <laughs> Elevated Railway's Atlantic Avenue structure and tip a railroad car momentarily off the tracks. Author Stephen Puleo described how nearby buildings were swept off their foundations and crushed. Several blocks were flooded to a depth of two to three feet. Puleo quotes a Boston Post report. Molasses waist deep covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled a form, whether it was an animal or human being was in possible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mass, showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies on sticky paper. The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. Just imagine like the, the clean-up. Ah, oh, look at this. Look at the state of it. It's everywhere. It's uh, really tricky. Ah, <laughs> oh, they're just thinking about it, it makes me like frustrated. There are some spells where you'll use a uh, reusable cloth or maybe a towel and others where just kitchen roll because this mm. is getting thrown away uh, this is the only way to do that this would be a kitchen roll only job yeah. bounty the strongest so corrupt mm. wouldn't that like it's an oil spill or something and just people like cleaning up seagulls it's just like these are gross this is that's going to be the same sort of thing isn't it it's mm-hmm. just like a, actually maybe it would be very similar to an oil it would thing. be but it's edible at least I don't think that's how you can eat your way through. You can lick the seagulls. Yeah. I don't mean they like it. It's like when you drop some food on the floor and you've got a dog. Just get the dog to eat it and that clears it up. It's a very handy thing. Sticky dogs. So, yeah, just set some dogs about it. Or just everyone get down to the beach with a stack full of pancakes. And away you go. Just dip into the molasses. Like, don't make sure not to dip into any dead bodies or anything, but... You know, around them. Around them. The Boston Globe reported that people were picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet. Others had debris hurled at them from the rush of sweet-smelling air. A truck was picked up and hurled into Boston Harbour. Approximately 150 were injured. 21 people and several horses were killed. Some were crushed and drowned by the molasses. The wounded included people, horses and dogs. 
Coughing fits became one of the most common ailments after the initial blast. In a 1983 article for the Smithsonian, Edwards Park wrote of one child's experience. Anthony Distasio walking homeward with his sisters from the Michelangelo school was picked up by the wave and carried, tumbling on its crest almost as though he was surfing. Then he grounded and the molasses rolled him like a pebble as the wave diminished. He heard his mother call his name and he couldn't answer. His throat was so clogged with the smothering goo he passed out, then opened his eyes to find three of his four sisters staring at him. So he survived? Sounds like he survived, well that's good. But one of his sisters didn't. So this horrible experience, and then he woke up. He smelled delicious. (laughs) No, I think no one's complaining about the smell. First to the scene were 116 cadets under the direction of Lieutenant Commander H.J. Copeland from the USS Nantucket that was docked nearby at the playground pier. They ran several blocks towards the accident. They worked to keep the curious from getting in the way of the rescuers. Great, good work. Um, While the others entered into the knee-deep sticky mess to pull out the survivors. Soon the Boston Police, Red Cross, Army and other Navy personnel arrived. Some nurses from the Red Cross drove into the molasses while others tended to the injured, keeping them warm and keeping the exhausted workers fed. Yeah, because this is near freezing as well, so this is the depth of winter that this is happening, and Boston is not a warm place. Many of these people worked through the night. The injured were so numerous that doctors and surgeons set up a makeshift hospital in a nearby building. Rescuers found it difficult to make their way through the syrup to help the victims. It took four days before they stopped searching for victims. Many of the dead were so glazed over in molasses they were hard to recognise. See now, this this is a, it's, at first I thought this sounds this sounds funny, but when you really think about it, it's horrific. Yeah, you can't think of a worse way to get. It seems worse than drowning. Yeah, because this is a restrict. It flares up the um, the quicksandy thing. The, yeah, the um, claustrophobic in yeah. me as well. That feeling of being unable to move and being stuck in one place until it overwhelms you. That's I don't gross. know. If you're going to go out in any way... I don't think you... I don't think you syrup. would pick this. I don't think... When you really think about it, it sounds horrible. I'd pick it. No, you wouldn't. Smothered in a syrup. All right, if a custard factory explodes, I want to be near there. I don't care how big the waves are. <laughs> <laughs> Local residents brought a class action lawsuit, one of the first held in Massachusetts, against the United States Industrial Alcohol Company, which had brought purity distilling in 1917. In spite of the company's attempts to claim that the tank had been blown up by anarchists because some of the alcohol produced was to be used in making munitions, a court-appointed auditor found USIA responsible after three years of hearings. Oh, it's good that corporations have always been dickwads then, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Why don't you just hold your hand up and say, shit, yeah, we're sorry, what can we do to make sure this never happens again, rather than spending three years denying culpability? People are bad, aren't they? United States Industrial Alcohol Company ultimately paid out $600,000 in out-of-court settlements. Survivors of the fatal victims reportedly received approximately $7,000 per victim. Uh, it's hard to know what that means in real terms, but... It's hard to know what that means in general. Like, mm. I don't know how you value that. Yeah, what, uh, what price do you put on a life? But that's quite a long conversation for our little comedy podcast. Well, not, not, just, 50, not just how much, you put, how much do you put on someone who's been You're, killed by... Syrup. <laughs> I don't know. How did, did Grandpa die? Syrup. Syrup. <laughs> so on to the clean-up. Clean-up crews used salt water from a fireboat to wash the molasses away and used sand to try to absorb it. 
The harbour was brown with molasses until summer. The cleanup in the immediate area took weeks, with more than 300 people contributing to the effort. Rescue workers, cleanup crews, and sightseers had tracked molasses through the streets and spread it to subway platforms, to the seats inside trains and streetcars, to pay telephone handsets, into homes, and to countless other places. Everything a Bostonian touched was sticky. I can't imagine yeah, that's a particular bugbear oh. of yours, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Just that I don't stickiness. Like, I don't everywhere. like. Cheesy dust on my fingers. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't like this. No. <clears throat> Sounds awful, doesn't you it? You were quite angry at me when I came out you with some what's it dust. I hate what's it dust. Oh, I love it. And hey, you came up for me with sticky fingers as <laughs> well. There's a picture of the aftermath cause and you can see how much devastation was caused. Mm. Big sticky mess. Several factors that occurred on that day and the previous days might have contributed to the disaster. The tank was constructed poorly and tested insufficiently. Due to fermentation occurring within the tank, carbon dioxide production might have raised the internal pressure. The rise in local temperatures that occurred over the previous day also would have assisted in building this pressure. Records show that the air temperature rose from 2 to 41 degrees Fahrenheit over that period. The failure occurred from a manhole cover near the base of the tank and it's possible that a fatigue crack there grew to the point of criticality. The tank had been filled capacity only eight times since it was built a few years previously, putting the walls under an intermittent cyclical load. Several, you're an intermittent cyclical load. Mm. Several authors say <laughs> that the Purity Distilling Company was or may have been trying to outrace prohibition in the United States. The 18th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States was ratified the next day and took effect one year later. An inquiry after the disaster revealed that Arthur Gell, who oversaw the construction, neglected basic safety tests, such as filling the tank with water to check for leaks. When filled with molasses, the tank leaked so badly that it was painted brown to hide the leaks. Local residents collected leak molasses for their homes. <laughs> An investigation published in 2014 applying modern engineering analysis found that the steel was not only half as thick as it should have been for a tank of its size, even with the lax standards of the day, but it also lacked manganese and was made more brittle as a result. I would actually quite like to see a film about that because I can't visually mm. see it like a big black gooey sea. So there we are, one more to go, and by process of elimination... Ah, oh, it's wrestling. It's wrestling. Hey! Buckle in. The article is entitled... K-Fabe. Am I pronouncing that correctly? K-Fabe. K-Fabe. That's what it sounds like. K-Fabe. K-Fabe. K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. Is it a wrestler? Is um, it a person? In professional wrestling, kayfabe is the portrayal. Kayfabe. I can't help it. <laughs> kayfabe. In professional wrestling, kayfabe is the portrayal of staged events within the industry as real or true. Specifically, the portrayal of a competition, rivalries, and relationships between participants as being genuine and not of a staged or predetermined nature of any kind. Uh, okay, so it's like when The Rock says, "You suck, guy." And then the other guy says, yeah, you're a dick, and then they hit each other. It's, it's um, wrestlers or people being involved in wrestling being in character at all times to ensure that wrestling comes across as, as real. So it's the, it's the law behind and around wrestling and mm. the maintenance thereof. So it's like how I'm actually a neuroscientist. Yeah, yeah, but on this, on this podcast you are the Carl Pilkington type. Yeah, but in reality, I've got to go and do some serious Yeah, but we can't work. ever let that be known to the listeners. No. Because no. that's what we're trying to do. It's our, yeah. your character. It would shatter the story building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
Kayfabe has also evolved to become a code word of sorts for maintaining this reality within the direct or indirect presence of the general public. So a little example would be back in the day, wrestlers would be expected to be in character no matter where they were. If you're at an airport, you are that character. You're an asshole or you're the good guy or, you know, you will be wearing that wrestler's attire, that kind of thing. You live that life. Pretty much. And you will get examples such as most of the time still, The Undertaker will just be The Undertaker in real life. What? But he's been doing that for 40 well, not, years. It's a little bit, it is more lax these days. Can I make a speculation? Because this is a long article and you've obviously highlighted bits that we want to talk about specifically. Can I cross my fingers and hope that at some point in this conversation we are going to be talking about Hulk Hogan's penis? We are not. Oh. But you can if you want. What about Hulk Hogan's penis? Is it in character? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hulk Hogan went on okay, trial. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm being the voice of wrestling um, okay. authority here. Hulk Hogan went on trial recently. Um, well, he didn't, no, he didn't go on trial, sorry. He put on trial a website. What website was Gorka. it? Gorka. Gorka. Oh, yeah, for, I know. For okay. um, releasing a sex tape with him in that he hadn't given permission to be released. Um, and his argument was, and he won the case as well, saying that they had no right to do that. Put them out of business. One of the defences that they used was that Hulk Hogan had talked about his penis being particularly big, and he had to say in court that it wasn't as big as he said it was, and that was just his character's penis. <laughs> Can you flesh that out with more detail, if you excuse my phrasing? (laughs) I'm not fleshing out Hulk Hogan's (laughs) penis with more detail, no. What's his real name? It's something ridiculous. It's Terry. Terry. (laughs) Terry. Terry Bollea. Bollea, yeah. Yeah, he's only got a small penis, but Hulk Hogan's got a very big penis. Good. I think that's relevant. (laughs) (laughs) It's always relevant. Is he going to sue us and put us out of business now? Maybe. Kayfabe is often seen as the suspension of disbelief that is used to create the non-wrestling aspects of promotions, such as feuds, angles, and gimmicks. In relative terms, a wrestler breaking kayfabe during a show would be likened to breaking character by an actor on camera. Also, since wrestling is performed in front of a live audience whose interaction with the show is crucial to its success, kayfabe can be compared to the fourth wall in acting, since there is hardly any conventional fourth wall to begin with. See, right, this is a genuine question about wrestling now. Mm-hmm. I'm not making them Mickey out no, of it. No, no, I'm no, just go being ahead, genuine. Ahead. Everybody that watches it and gets really into it, I know you know, how much of the demographic think it's real? I'd say, well, every adult knows it's not real. Like Santa. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. No, I think some kids will believe it's real, but most, come on, it's not. I mean, in the 1980s and mm. before that, people did think it was real. Or a lot of people did. Which seems... Yeah incredible uh, but they really did naive, but yeah, and that's definitely. because kayfabe was so strong but now for me what i like about wrestling is the whole backstage aspect i love the politics that goes on backstage and i love trying to figure out the reasoning as to why certain wrestlers are getting a push as it's known in other words becoming a big star or begin being given a belt or being given a main event to wrestle in compared to wrestlers that aren't being given that and the reasons why all of that is really interesting i think most modern day wrestling fans are into that it's like a soap it's, pretty, it's like a real-life soap where a lot of people get very angry if their favourite wrestler is not being given the push that they, they think mm. they deserve. Um, but as well as that, that started to spill into the actual wrestling on-screen world where some wrestlers will drop a pipe bomb 
as it's known, like CM Punk did, he will address the state of the, the politics in the WWE and say, you know, why are some people getting ahead when I'm not? They they do still keep up a pretense because without the pretense that it's all real and there's there's something at stake, there's yeah, no point in it. So they do keep it up to some extent, but they're quite happy now to acknowledge what wrestlers are doing outside of the um, outside the world of wrestling. And they have shows now like Total Divas, which shows wrestlers in inverted commas in real life yeah. and the situations they're in there which again is but part, kind of halfway yeah but part of that's still part of the case sure. in that it's just making it more realistic yeah, yeah. and more believable and just crafting yeah, and that's not, what I'm loving it's not Sophie it's Kardashian it's narrative building that's yeah. what it boils down to is narrative people need stories to have structure in order for them to not disintegrate and that's what they're doing and that makes perfect sense yeah. and it has to adapt moving forward because yeah back in the 70s or 80s where literally all you would ever see of these wrestlers is the half hour a week on the TV they do and the um, specials now with the proliferation of social media and everything else they've got to be everywhere and seen so much more the nature of what that is has got to change because just being an evil baddie in a mask is not a sustainable enough or big enough narrative to fill all of that content that needs to be filled Mm -hmm. so it makes sense that it's evolved in that way and, and stays believable because as well people get wise to what's going on so it needs to evolve and change otherwise it gets stale so that, yeah, that exactly. makes sense. And I'm not. I still think it's stupid, but I can <laughs> see. I can still see the appeal, and I can see how that works for people. Yeah, and what they're doing now is the, the hardcore internet audience who think that they know everything about the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. They're starting to play with that a little bit, where they will perhaps release certain information saying this wrestler's not going to be back till June, and then the wrestler shows up fit and healthy in January. They're starting to let people think that they know more than they do, for them to twist it back, which kind of makes it exciting again for most people, I think. Yeah. So you've you've highlighted some examples. Which highlighted some examples of people breaking kayfabe, yeah. Okay. Kayfabe. Not kayfabe. I can't help it, it just rolls off the tongue. It's a silly word, I don't know where it came from. <laughs> Andy Kaufman, intergender wrestling champion of the world. Actor and comedian Andy Kaufman has become known in the years following his death for his lifelong obsession with professional wrestling. Kaufman developed a bit for his stand-up routine of being the intergender wrestling champion of the world, challenging females from the audience. It has been reported multiple times over the years that Kaufman Kaufman created this bit with the intention of shopping it to wrestling promoters as a storyline and that he was turned down by numerous promoters, most famously by Vincent McMahon. He finally found a willing promoter in Jerry Jarrett, whose flagship arena in the Mid-South Coliseum was considerably larger than most other venues in the United States, which ran weekly wrestling shows and therefore had a need to create enough interest to sell tickets. Kaufman appeared briefly in the promotion in the spring of 1982 to challenge Jerry Lawler, followed by a famous joint appearance with Lawler on Late Night with David Letterman and other appearances throughout the following year. During the same time period, Kaufman also worked with Freddie Blassie, Classy Freddie Blassie, whose ability to maintain kayfabe in public was so strong, it more resembled an obliviousness to reality at times. That is the other risk, isn't it? Uh, yeah. You fall into the kayfabe, mm-hmm. like, you don't know who you are anymore. That's not just a wrestling hazard, though, because I think like Steve Coogan certainly said that about Alan Partridge. Mm in the past he's got so involved in being that character for such long periods of time especially when doing audiobooks you hate him that he now yeah he feels like it's part of him yeah, that he can and he struggles to just stop doing it which isn't ideal when your character's Alan Partridge Kaufman and Blassie filmed the movie My Breakfast with Blassie in which both men performed in character Kaufman and Blassie appeared together on a 1983 episode of Letterman's show to promote the movie this appearance which was also performed in character culminated with Blassie proclaiming that he was now Kaufman's kayfabe manager Letterman in the early years of Late Night featured both professional wrestlers and ordinary people as guests 
Lights, which in both cases was rare on network television. At one point during the appearance, Letterman and Blassie were discussing the latter's wrestling career and Letterman frequently goaded his other guests, the ordinary person, to denounce Blassie's claims, albeit with the hint that it was being done tongue-in-cheek. A decade and a half after Kaufman's death, Lawler starred as himself in Man on the Moon, a film that in part portrays the kayfabe feud between the pair. The movie shows highlights from the work and then reveals that Kaufman and Lawler were friends, Kaufman was only an amateur wrestler, and his initial attempts to enter the pro wrestling business were met with scorn by promoters, many of whom viewed Kaufman as someone who was eager to use his celebrity to expose the business once he was given an entry. His That's work- another thing that people who are sort of old-fashioned and loved wrestling or were involved in wrestling decades ago they're very very scared of their business being exposed and um you know some outsider coming in and just revealing that it's all a big work and there's there's nothing real about it when really Nobody come cares. on guys no a no one cares and b yeah. everyone knows so chill out yeah. but it still happens to this day his work with wrestlers demonstrated that he was a quick study of kayfabe his devotion to the kayfabe would last his whole life eventually affecting his reputation with fans of his acting and comic careers the montreal screw job the most widely discussed example is the Montreal Screwjob, centred around mm. a match in which then-WWF World Heavyweight Champion Bret Hart wrestled challenger Shawn Michaels for the championship at the Survivor Series in Montreal in November 1997. Hart had previously signed a contract with rival World Championship Wrestling and still had three weeks after this match before his first appearance on WCW Monday Nitro. Just quickly, is that, this, is, this is where I've got get confused with wrestling. WWF isn't a thing anymore, is it? It is. It's, it's now called WWE because okay. of a lawsuit they had with the World Wildlife Fund. Oh, the pandas. Very litigious pandas. <laughs> so at this time, WWF and WCW were the two biggest Is WCW still a thing? No, WWF bought it in 2001. Right. But at this time, it was like there was a Monday night was, uh, ratings war mm-hmm. between the two. <clears throat> and it got quite ugly at times where, well, there would be trying to sabotage each other's shows and but two big how... businesses that were very, very close to each other in popularity. Okay. Um, and it was a very bitter rivalry. But how much of the rivalry was kayfabe as well? Was some of that made up and over Yeah, probably, but um, they were two rival companies, so they were, they were, you know, they weren't working together. Would they refer to each other or would they, in their shows, would they pretend like the other didn't exist? Well, the most famous incident was when Raw, WWF Raw was pre-recorded a few hours before it was due to air, whereas Nitro, WCW Nitro, was live. But they would air at the same time. And at the start of the Nitro show, the announcers revealed that on the pre-record of Raw, that was just starting to air at the same time as Nitro, Mick Foley had won the World Wrestling um, Heavyweight Championship. One of the announcers literally said, Mick Foley tonight has won the World Championship on Raw. That'll put bums in seats. And hundreds of thousands of viewers switched over from WCW to watch WWF because of that. So it did happen, it happened sometimes that, yeah, WCW would, or they would refer to each other generally in mocking terms. Um, and obviously on that occasion, yeah. it backfired. Yeah, to, to create that rivalry is beneficial for both yeah. parties, isn't it? Because it's the same as um, Oasis versus Blair mm. in, the, in the charts. Yes, yeah, a lot if of If they're both, if everyone's talking about them and everyone's excited about who's going to win, mm. more people are going to buy the product, exactly. more people yeah. are going to tune in. So yeah, it was beneficial for a time, but obviously WCW's dead now, so it didn't work out long term. Anyway, back be one to winner. The, I want to know how this screw job ends up. It's like some wrestling, but then there's a, a little ball of chewing gum at the bottom. Is that, is that it? You, 
That's a reference so, to a screwball. We've been recording for a long time now. I understood that. The calibre of my jokes may have may have diminished somewhat. I can only no, they're just as good as they were at the start. <laughs> Bret Hart had signed a contract with WCW. He was due to move there in three weeks, but he was still involved as the WWF champion at the time. Okay. So Vince McMahon would not have been happy that he was going to move at being his biggest star. Right. The agreed upon finish was to have Hart retain the title that night and appear on Raw the following night to give up the championship. As events transpired leading up to the Survivor Series with Hart still champion and booked to remain champion following the event, during the match Michaels put Hart in the sharpshooter, Hart's finisher, and referee Earl Hebner signalled that Hart submitted even though he had not. At the same time, McMahon came to the ringside area and directed the ring crew to ring the bell and announce that Michaels had won the match. Hart, very upset, spat on McMahon and began trashing equipment around the ring, later punching McMahon in the dressing room. Oh, not in the dressing room. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fake. Well, that's the thing. Because you've got this fake world, when real things happen, they sound fake as well. And could well be, because we're not privy to what was going on here. This could all just be And again, people still still talk about that. And eventually, Bret Hart came back to the WWE. And they did a whole program where, again, Vince screwed him again. And that led to a WrestleMania match. And yeah, who knows? That's why it's fascinating to me. It's, It's... you can try and unravel it as much as you want, but if you're not on that, in that inner circle, you don't truly know. But then you could also go, no. You could also just go, no. That's, what, yeah. that's, that's the position I'll take. Trump buys WWE Raw. We've got to talk about fucking Donald Trump now, have we? What, no one talks about Donald Trump. <laughs> I'd just like to say as well, before we go into this, that um, Donald Trump is the first US president who's taken a stone-cold stunner. That we know of. That we know of, yeah. yeah that's true. <laughs> and what's the Stone Cold Stunner? It's Stone Cold Steve Austin's finishing move. And what does it involve? Gavin by Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a kick to the midriff. Right. And then you turn around and you grab their, their neck <laughs> and you sort of sit down. Right. With, with, their, with their neck in your... Okay. Clutch and they sort of bounce back and break their spine. And Trump did not do a very good job of selling the move, um, but you know he's not a wrestler, so it's kind of to be expected. <laughs> and, and he's an old man. He can't have been a. This can't have been that long that, ago. No, it's ten. No, maybe not ten years. Uh, well, yeah, he'd no, still be he's seventy now. Then, so if it was ten years ago, he'd still be a sixty-year-old man. Well, the Dudley Boys put Mae Young through a table, and she was in her eighties. So. You know, this is wrestling. I don't understand those words. <laughs> the Dudley Boys, Mae Young, what are you talking about? Dudley Boys, yeah. Got that. A they're a tag team. Okay. They're, one's black, one, one's white, and their dad was big Papa Dudley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Um, and then they, they took an eight-year-old woman and took her up on the top turnbuckle of the ring and then threw her through a table. With her consent? Oh, yeah. Well, no. Not, uh, not on the show, but in real life, yeah. Oh. So who was this eighty-year-old woman? Mae Young. She was a like I think she didn't like that maybe a wrestling champion in the nineteen fifties. <laughs> but she just sort of hung around and she turned up sometimes. And then at one point, Mark Henry, the world's strongest man, um, had a sexual relationship with her. She was he was called Sexual Chocolate at the time, and <laughs> she got pregnant even though she was about seventy at the time, and she gave birth to a hand. This isn't the real world, by the way. Just to clarify, this is in the wrestling world. She gave birth to a hand. Look up. This is why I like wrestling. Anyway, Trump buys WWE Raw. 
In June 2009, Vince McMahon announced on a special three-hour edition of WWE Monday Night Raw. Three hours is too long. Three hours is the standard now. That's too long. It is too long. You're the... right. <laughs> WrestleMania was seven and a half hours long this month, this uh, year. It was, it, I felt ill by the end of it. So he announced on a three-hour special edition of Monday Night Raw that he had sold the show to Donald Trump. President-elect of the United States mm-hmm. of America... This is only six years ago. How scary is Seven it? Seven years ago. The, the kayfabe thing is not—it's not just restricted to here now. No, it's international politics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Entered that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's real anymore. Uh, it is a very good allegory. Yeah. Reaction. I don't know. Is this? It's um the reality TVification of the world. I always think wrestling was reality TV before reality TV was a thing, hmm. and yeah, it does seem to have extended to politics now. So <laughs> holy fuck. Am I strap yourself yeah, I, in? I'm real. You're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't don't know that. That's going to be the biggest worry bubble you've ever created. Don't do that to yourself. Okay, yeah, you are real, Chris. You're fine. Okay. I think I'm real. Yeah, you're real. Okay, good. But then, why are so many of the things I do so ridiculous? Uh, would a real person buy three McDonald's breakfasts? I had two. Two McDonald's breakfasts. Two. What's wrong with having two? Because you followed it up with some chocolate pudding. No, it wasn't chocolate pudding. It was a. Fudge and a crunchy, and they were miniature-sized. For your pudding. They were miniature-sized. Yeah, but you had multiples of them. So? That makes them not mini anymore. Well, there was only three. That's about the same size as a chocolate bar. Exactly, that's my point. (sighs) Right, so (laughs) in in 2009, Monday Night Raw is being sold to President-elect Donald Trump, who appeared on screen to confirm it and declared he would be at the following commercial-free episode in person. However, it was not revealed that the sale to Trump was not an actual sale, but a kayfabe as part of the WWE storyline. Is it WWE? Is that what's happening now? Yeah. Is that it's so he's not really president. The Undertaker's going to come to the rescue. Yeah. Oh stun my him. God, that would be amazing. No, the Undertaker doesn't stun him. Oh, I won't ever he does. He choke slams him. No, the best one. What happened is it will be. On inauguration day, um, it all goes black. Yeah, The Rock shows up no. and just goes. Ugh. Well, The Rock would be good. I think the Rock would be better though, if it all just went because black as Trump was making his inauguration speech, and then the lights come back and the Undertaker's just stood looming over him. And he and grabs him by the throat, goes and pulls his wig off, <laughs> and just chokes, slams him off the stage, and the crowd yeah. goes wild. And oh man, oh, this Paul, might happen. And Paul Bear is sniggering in the background. No, he's dead. Oh. Um, but well, that would be a good reveal, wouldn't it? That would be a good reveal. That would. Maybe he's not dead. Trump versus Undertaker at WrestleMania. No, I, I, yeah, okay. that would be one hell of a build. Maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe that's what has happened. Oh, I, hope I really, really hope so. Oh, and it turns <laughs> special out special that... guest referee Nigel Farage. Yeah, and Clinton's been on an, in on it the whole time yeah. and <laughs> helps by throwing the Undertaker a chair to help him. Yes. To, Oh, we should be we should be booking this. Yeah, this works. I would pay to see I it. Would. I would. Pay, there's not many wrestling things I would pay to see, no, but this that, seems a sigh of relief. Let's and then see. yeah, maybe just The Rock giving the people's elbow to Mike Pence would be nice as well. Yeah, and then someone just takes Nigel Farage out the back and chews him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I don't care if the wrestling thing's real. Let's just hope that happens anyway, Mister. I'm not. I hate it when other people get involved in the running of a country. But now I'm going over to America to tell oh, them how it's supposed to be done. The thing that annoys me the most... Let's not... I'm not going to go into too much. But okay. It's not about the politics of it. Um, but it, what does annoy me is the way Nigel Farage, he's, I think he's a little bit like a superhero. He's had to hang up his cape. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to get it out again to yeah. put the cowl back on. Oh, they need me. Yeah. How many times? 
they didn't really sell it to Trump. It was not an actual sell, but a kayfabe as part of the WWE storyline. Executives for WWE and USA Network treated the sale as an actual sale, and it was picked up as a real event by many industry sources. The day following the announcement, WWE's stock on the New York Stock Exchange fell, leading USA Network to admit that the sale was indeed nothing more than part of the storyline. So basically, the New York Stock Exchange didn't even trust Donald Trump to run Monday Night Raw. <laughs> and yet we're prepared to let him run the free world. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Great. That's No, that's fantastic. I'm really pleased about that. <sighs> so as you'll see, this is a long article and I could have made us read a lot more of this. Yeah, this, there's a last little bit that you've highlighted here about storylines becoming real life. Some efforts to promote kayfabe have resulted in real-life consequences. While working as a booker for WCW, Kevin Sullivan conceived an angle where woman... What? Her name was woman. Okay. What? While (laughs) working... While working as a booker for WCW, Kevin Sullivan conceived an angle where woman... Good... Good angle there. Um, Nancy Dow Sullivan, Sullivan's wife, both on screen and off, would leave his character for Chris Benoit's. Sullivan insisted that the two should travel together to preserve kayfabe for the general public. Uh oh. <laughs> this resulted in Sullivan's wife legitimately leaving him for Benoit when the two developed a real life romantic relationship during their time together. Nancy ultimately married Benoit in 2000. And was subsequently killed by Chris Benoit and her son. Yeah, it doesn't mention that part. It fades off as though Chris Benoit is someone whose name you can put on without mentioning that he was a murdering scumbag. Wrestling, things like this, it sounds like it can be quite damaging to you your entire life to get into wrestling. Oh, particularly when it was so riddled with steroids because they fuck you up good Mm. and proper. Yeah, well, that's, that's the theory behind people. Benoit, yeah, is the droid rage. Um, but not just that, just the constant travel, having to preserve kayfabe, the constant battering that your body takes, which it really does, because it's not... Oh, yeah, they all it's die not so fake young. In, that, in those terms. it's um, got to be in your pants all the time. You've got to be in your pants like all the time. Though. Yeah, you are like Yeah, and, and just the physical exertion needed to maintain that physique, the amount of work you have to put your body through, that's not good for you. No, I don't no. like and it's not even particularly good pay for most of them as well. So yeah, it, it can be really damaging to the point where you work, murder your wife and son. Hmm. I wouldn't do it. You haven't got a wife or son. I mean, be a wrestler. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> when Triple H and Stephanie McMahon entered into a kayfabe marriage in late 1999, <laughs> can you look up the uh, etymology of the word? I'd like to know where it comes from. Pro wrestling can trace some of its stylistic origins back to carnivals and catch wrestling, where the term kayfabe is thought to have originated as carny slang for protecting the secrets of the business. The term kayfabe itself may ultimately originate from the pig Latin form of fake, ache Oh, yeah. Or the phrase be fake. Well, that doesn't help. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, kayfabe may also derive from another trick used by travelling carnival workers. With money tight, a carny would call home collect and ask for kayfabian. This was code letting the people at home know they had made it safely to the next town without paying for the cost of a, of a phone call. So, like, uh, so that's probably yeah, a kayfabian, yeah. yeah, keeping the pretense up. Triple H and Stephanie McMahon ended into a kayfabe marriage in 1999. Triple H and McMahon started dating in real life and continued to do so after their kayfabe marriage ended in 2002. The two would eventually marry in real life in 2003. The Catholic priest at the wedding, not aware of the workings of the wrestling business, initially refused to marry the two when he found out about the kayfabe wedding from a choir boy who was also a wrestling fan. Linda McMahon later had to explain to the priest the difference between WWE programming and real life 
life allowing the marriage to go through. Afterwards, the real-life marriage became an open secret on television before being acknowledged by Triple H in 2009. So you have to keep your actual marriage secret. Your actual life just becomes a hidden They did. They've done a storyline recently about um, Rusev and Lana, who were who were a, a Russian couple, even though one of them's from Bulgaria and the other's from the US. Um, they split up on the show and had a big argument, but in real life they just bought a house together and that ended up coming out in the, the press and they had to just end the storyline. For that example specifically, did the fans get annoyed by that? Like, well, you lying. No. No, so they, it, they know it's a show. They know it's all... Yeah, so I, don't, I just don't understand why it's a thing. <laughs> well, you think it should just reflect real life? No, the opposite. I think it's just, well, I'm going to work today, get my pants on, grease up, have a bit of a wrestle, have all the storylines and stuff, and then hits five o'clock or whatever. Like in Home Alone, when the guy is dressed as Santa, and he's leaving his, like, he's, he's had kids sitting on his lap all day, giving him presents and all that shit, and then he's leaving, he's about to get on his motorbike to go home for the day, where he's not going to be Santa anymore, he's just going to be a normal yeah. man who's home from his day job. But Kevin McAllister in Home Alone sees him and treats him like he is the real Santa. Is he supposed to just go, oh, fuck off, kid, I'm not fucking Santa? Or is he supposed to continue acting like Santa to preserve the, the innocence of the hmm. child and to make the child think that it's all real? Which children, I'm sure children do still think is, is real. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's, maybe. I think it's mostly for the kids. Oh, the people at Disneyland are prepared to pretend to be princesses. Funnily enough, there's a story that Mick Foley tells about him going to Disneyland with his very small kids, and he saw a worker who was dressed as Mickey Mouse with the Mickey Mouse helmet off, and she was just having a smoke behind a car in a car park. And apparently she saw the kids and as quick as you like threw herself under the car so the kids didn't see her. She was maintaining kayfabe there. Oh. You don't want to expose the, the feuds and the storylines of the business because yeah. then you've and just that, kind of wasted And that's a bit of a effort. different example as well because to that child, a headless Mickey Mouse with a, a human being... Could be terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> inside. And Walt Disney probably would have had them shot. That's true. That's the other fear. <laughs> so they maintain that there with a... Iron Boot of Disney. We've done six six articles there. I think we've done well. Yeah. I haven't. I've only wanted to kill you a little bit. Oh come on. Hardly at bit. all. Just hardly at all today. Yeah. It's been quite good. Hmm. I've, I've really been trying to not, you know, do anything with my feet. Yeah. Or just annoy you in any way. Maybe it's worked. It's been good. Been fun. So you looked down there and expecting to find my foot on yeah, your chair or something, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was expecting something. I was considering it. <laughs> but decided against it because I'm growing up. Good. <laughs> and not only, not only has this bumper episode been fun, but it has been a genuine pleasure doing Wiki Shuffle for the last hundred episodes with both of you. Mm-hmm. As, Agreed. As it's been idiotic, lovely. As idiotic as you both are. <clears throat> I'm not sure um, if I've mentioned this on the show before, but me and you, Phil, had maybe met six times before doing this podcast? No, I don't even think as often as that. We'd Maybe never, not, We'd yeah. never spoken to each mm. other. Oh, no, we had a couple of times at the, the pub quiz I used to do, didn't we? That's where we'd, 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 we'd met a few number times. of yeah, times. So yeah, but we hadn't. We, like, I'd, been, I'd have considered you a, an acquaintance. I, I wouldn't have mentioned having ever met you. No, <laughs> most people don't. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's evidence now, so I can't deny it. But yeah, so it's been it's been lovely to get to know you and slowly become comfortable enough with you to take the piss constantly. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, the listener, if I can be sincere for just a moment. <laughs> Come on, Imagine don't, don't downplay it. One. We have at least four. <laughs> it's just one. Just one person that listens every week and that's why we make it. 
thank you to everyone who's listened and for a hundred episodes of this nonsense and I hope that you've gained something from the stuff that we do yeah, I bet mm. people have learnt things I have learnt things name them name one come on quick about molasses what is it Scoo. <laughs> he's learned nothing from <laughs> 18 months and 100 episodes he's learned nothing yeah we're still carrying on going we announced last week that Jack's not going to be with us for very much longer while he goes what? off gallery <laughs> say it in a different way we're also going to let Jack loose on the his final episode and he's going to be picking all of the articles for that one Ooh. but it won't be a six article bumper so no five you get three. You can okay. choose three articles for your <laughs> final episode. Okay. Just to quell the listeners' fears, because I'm sure they're freaking out right now, I will come back. But okay. in the meantime, while I'm away, you'll have um, different folk on mm-hmm. filling my spot. And then at some point I'll come on, and maybe it'll be full-time, maybe it'll be part-time, maybe yeah. it'll be just occasionally. We don't you'll really know yet. We'll see beats. how it goes. Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly. Oh, God, come back with yeah. my, the braids in my hair. Yeah, yeah. you know, growing yourself a goatee beard. I'll yeah. have found myself. Oh, it's a little soul patch, actually. I think that's <laughs> it. Just a little soul patch. You'll have... Um, no, that's one of the areas of my face where I just don't grow any hair. So, uh, but no. no, that's because you haven't travelled yet. Okay, once I <laughs> it's find myself, that, yeah, once you find yourself, it will expose itself through mm. your soul patch. You traced around with a battered acoustic guitar with stickers of all the places <laughs> you've been to on it. Oh, and a backpack that you wear everywhere now. It's like you're back. You're back now. You've got home. <laughs> Stop wearing that backpack. That overly large backpack. I have not done any of these oh, things yet. And bongos. Who the <laughs> fuck do you think you are with those bongos? I identify himself as a nomad. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've made it to the ends. The, the wrestling talk was much more fun than I thought it was going to be. I'm pleased you said that. Mm-hmm. You've given me the hope that maybe Donald Trump is just a big ruse and mm. that it's going to be a, a wrestling number. Nope. And that, that Barack Obama's in on it. Everyone's in on it. And there's just a great big special. It would be fun, though, wouldn't it? It's not, though. It's, it's not all real life. Yeah, it's real life. It's all real Donald life. Trump. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. It is funny Donald to say, though. Trump. I do like thinking about it in, in some ways. Like President Trump. Trump. Uh, Trump. It, <laughs> Americans don't realise what Trump means. No, do they? no. How have they not made a bigger thing out of that? Has he formally said he's not going to do any more of The Apprentice? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, I've not witnessed him say, that's it, I'm not doing The Apprentice anymore. I, it wouldn't surprise me. He's doing me it, but only with Muslims. And it. instead of just firing them, he's going to fire them out of a cannon <laughs> yeah. into the sea. Build a wall out of them. Oh, oh, Jesus. That's a bleak ending. Mm. When we started, Obama was president. It was Every- looking like Labour were getting stronger. Everything was fine. Yeah, there was no way Brexit was going to happen. And that was going to make the whole thing go away and shut up after they left, lost that. Oh, that's because I mean, we always yeah. said that to each other. Well, that's what we did. We yeah. all said it to each other. How good things are going to yeah. be fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David wasn't... Cameron had just fucked a pig and we all thought, well, that's us one. We've won <laughs> for the winning side. Liberals are the winners. Oh, well. We've got another couple of hundred episodes in which to actually put the world right. Mm. And we look forward to you being on that journey with us. Yeah. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. And tell your friends. Yeah, tell your friends. Oh, what's that? That's that. Wow, we have timed that perfectly. Uh, there's a Re- Remembrance Day parade just starting outside. What? Well, it sounds like right outside the um, the window. Yeah, like a protest. Open up, <laughs> wind- open up the window. We'll let them play us out. Remember all the people that have died, so that we could have a free country and a free world, which is run by Donald Trump. Seems to be happy. <laughs> <laughs>
some point, this is going to be forever. Just this sound. <laughs> it's going to break so much that every day this goes on, every hour. <laughs> Fuck. All right, are we done? Is that how we're playing out, yeah? Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 